0: This is Daniel Warren Johnson, the creator of Space Mullet, and you are listening to Eleven O'clock Comics. <laughs> wow,
1: that whew, that was uh, <laughs> that was nowhere
0: near as as good as <laughs> that. Well, it, I mean, I had no ch- it was no chance. It's like uh, you know, it's just got to be my own version. It can't be. Well, you want to okay. do your your own version. I thought that was my version.
1: Well, I mean, you could put a little bit of a spin on it. That was like the low-key, lame-ass, barely hear it version. Let's okay. All
0: get, right. Let's try it again, then. You just pocketed $20 million. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> that's ironic that you're saying that to me a day after uh, Facebook lo- fell 20%. I feel just well, like quite the opposite. But uh,
1: Well, that's but, the emotion uh, I want you to work with. So, so okay. you got this like,
0: wow, you got to let right, it I'm, out. I'm, I'm
2: ready.
0: Go.
1: <laughs> All right. That's a little Mario going on there, but we like it.
0: There you go. That's sweet. That's good. Mario.
1: Now i got to figure out how to do both um, echoes. Both of us. Yeah. I'm leaving both in. Nice.
0: You're the before and the after. Damn! Yeah, look at this little mug. You see what this guy's doing? Oh, our our third co-host who uh, can't be on tonight is well, like doing? peppering us with uh, questions because we asked our faithful patrons for questions for tonight. Where did we ask drop them? In questions in there? We asked them on the Patreon.
1: Yes. No, I didn't see that. No,
0: no. Oh well, on the on the Slack.
1: On the Slack. So I should open that up, huh?
0: Well, just in case. Although this is certainly not not going to happen for real. Just in case you and I ran out of things to talk about, I figured we could have some backup questions. That's a good plan. And we
1: hope we have a plan, because this is 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 553. What up? And I'm Vince B. And I think number one, because I'm R.C.O. Hall. Wow. What's he doing nowadays? Uh, just uh, occupying my heart and dreams. Arsenio didn't he have like a, a minor comeback at one time?
0: He um And then he went away. Yeah, he he was I think uh the winner of either one of the versions of the Celebrity Apprentice with uh, our our glorious and wonderful POTUS before he oh, was POTUS Christ. Um I didn't watch it, but I believe he won one of the seasons, and then that prompted a comeback, including the Arsenio Hall show coming back for a bit. It didn't last very long, though. Mm. And
1: those things are never staged. Mm -mm. Totally legit, right? I never watched it, so I can't speak on it, but I'm with you. Right. Ridiculous. Well, you're not Arsenio Hall. You're Jason Wood, everybody. And in case you haven't noticed by our um, wonderful intro, but different, uh, Mm -hmm. DAP, DAP is not here this week. DAP is on location in mboto and he is uh, unfortunately unable to get to a communication device but it's a humanitarian uh, effort yes he is here in spirit and we will mm-hmm. try to soldier on without him and you know who soldiers on for you despite the uh, obstacles uh netflix No. Discount Comic Book Service. Ah. woohoo! DCBService.com. That's DCBService.com. We'll get you your books. You order them, you'll get them at a fraction of the retail price. This is the last time you're going to be hearing this, so listen up. From Image, it is Bully Wars, number one, written by Scotty Young, art by Aaron Conley. It's a surefire hit, but I thought, you know... Scotty's our boo, we gotta do what we gotta do, and this mm-hmm. is three ninety nine. Your price? One dollar ninety nine cents from Discount Comic Book Service. And from Boom, it's the Coda Trade Paperback Volume One, Discover Now edition. But from what I'm hearing, this is only going to be available in the comic book shops. Like I guess this cover and the Amazon cover are gonna be different. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um but it's, it's respectably priced, $9.99 for a four-issue trade paperback. That's a pretty good deal when each issue costs 4 bucks. But uh, not you. You're not going to pay that. No way. No, sir. $4.99 is the DCB service price. And last but not least, I'm dying to read this because I heard very good things. I know it looks good. It is The Deathbed. Riley Rosmo on art. Uh, from Vertigo, cover price $16.99 for a six-issue trade paperback collection, but uh-uh. you, because you're smart and in the know, and you know right where to go, will go to DCBService.com and get it for $8.49. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions, and you get your books all served right up to your ding-dong door. They are the best. Ding-dong. <laughs> ding-dong. Charlie Chode.
0: Huh. so what are you drinking my friend well as uh as our regular listeners know this has been a dry month for me uh following back-to-back vacations uh, including heroes con and then uh my family vacation so i figured i would dry out for a bit and uh i'm breaking that tonight for you for me for you that's excellent because it's a celebration. It is, of, of us.
1: So uh, We don't do many of these um, mano a mano, hand-to-hand I, I think you <laughs>
0: can count on one hand, right? I know. <laughs> right? <laughs> Less than 1%, I think. But, um, but we both are 1%ers, so. Anyway. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. No, no. <laughs> it, it would be nice, but no. I am drinking a Portuguese wine, a table wine called Colossal Reserva. From uh, Casa Santos, uh, a vineyard um, in uh, near near uh, Lisbon, from what I understand, and it is a full bloody full bloody full bodied <laughs> blend of Torriga Nacional, Syrah, Tinta Roriz, and Alicante Bouchette grapes. Uh, wow, that's so, a lot of words. How yeah, does it, how does it taste for all them words? It's delicious. The mouthfeel is not dissimilar to. The excitement I get when we first see each other at a con and we make out for a few minutes. Look at you. Mm-hmm. What you drinking? Well, m- not a
1: whole lot of words, but a whole lot of taste. I am drinking from Dark Horse. It's a 2016 Cabernet Sauvignon, and it is it is very very
0: tasty. All right, respect. Yeah. Look at us. Yep. Do you do you remember that for a lot of years of doing our show, you didn't you had never really drank wine? I didn't, no. A lot of beer. It's hard to believe being that you're Sicilian.
1: I know. I just, I never grew up with it. You know, I mean, it you, was... You guys uh,
0: didn't have like wine at the table? I would have assumed you were drinking wine at 10.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, the family had wine at the table. Yeah. I just never drank it. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. even even after I became of age, I I was not a um, a drinker. The, I started drinking uh, probably with you guys. Like, for real. Wow. It's like, I think the first IPA I ever had was with you guys. Wow, look at that. Yeah. I'm just not a, not a drinker.
0: Well, since our boy's in here, we can't forget to do something I know he want, wants to make sure we do, which is uh, go over the Book of the Month selection. That's a good idea. So it is that time. Uh, Dap, as he always do, set up a poll for the patrons to vote for our Book of the Month. And those 11 selections were BPRD Volume 1, Hollow Earth and Other Stories, Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot, The Girl from Hoppers, The Goon Volume 1, Nothing But Mystery, Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, num- Number 5, mm-hmm. The Killer, Longshot, The Mask Omnibu Volume 1, Point Blank, The Spire, and Werewolves of Montpellier. Wow. And the winner with um and let's be honest we we, we figured this was going to be the winner with 29% of the vote, so a a decided victory uh was BPRD Volume 1: Hollow Earth and Other Stories. Wow. Uh,
1: it it it's going to be fun to revisit that, but you know what? He's not going to rest until the mask wins. He keeps sneaking that Mask Omnibus <laughs> in there
0: like every I've never read the Mask ever. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't care for the movie. I'm sure the movie's much different than the comic, but uh, not by much, buddy. Oh no. No, so. <laughs> no. <laughs> no,
1: I mean it it it's early Doug Monkey. So mm-hmm. it there, there's there's an appeal there, right? Uh Doug Monkey's always uh, well right. most more often than not he's he's very good at, at at what he does. But it's 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 fun up until a certain point, but there's mm-hmm. like hundreds of pages of it. Right. Right. So it's like a little bit of of the mask overkill. Overdosing on on the mask. But, but the, I mean I did
2: be is, fun to
0: see him geek out on it. I was just going to say how yeah. often do we get a chance to hear Dapp be the the primary talker on one of our episodes. Yeah, it doesn't happen often. Um well, uh it was I have to say the only one in the running um was The Goon with 22% of the vote. Yeah, that would have been fun. And that makes sense because I don't think in spite of doing the show for 10 years and covering just about every nook and cranny of comics, I don't think any of us have ever talked about the goon on the show.
1: I think I did. Did you really? Yeah, but not, um, f- like story arcs. I may have done one or two issues. Like, I think there was mm-hmm. a, a big daddy Roth, uh, themed issue that I, I talked about, like isolated bursts, but, mm-hmm. but never at length. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I, mean, don't have much of it. I have the early uh, yeah. stuff, yeah, the Flying Albatross stuff like mm-hmm. w- when it was ramping up in popularity. Those are the ones I have. I don't have the full-blown Dark Horse popular ones.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I I haven't read a single page of the Goon or frankly I haven't read any Eric Powell comics ever. Um and it's not it's just a white space. It's not that I don't like him. It's not that I have actively avoided it. I I just never Never read the Goon and never read the Hillbilly, but I'm uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't mind putting that back on the list at some point because I I, I would like to jump in and at least try it because he's uh, one of those creators that seems to be loved by other creators. He can draw like a bastard. hmm So there you go, patrons, and uh, also just as a an FYI, full disclosure, we will be recording the Book of the Month episode next Wednesday, which is, for those of you that are savvy with the calendar, August 1st. So I know technically we got it in late, not under the wire, but uh, sometimes life and humanitarian efforts require us to make minor adjustments. So um, we will will be recording it and releasing it on the 1st.
1: I have a thank you. Oh, sweet. Okay. Um, Last weekend was the San Diego Comic-Con. And there was of a big, big old ballyhoo uh, going on on the other side of the uh, continent. And uh, we got to thank uh, Mr. Cameron Hathaway and his uh, gorgeous uh, Gal Friday, Amanda. Cam had an 11 o'clock comics shirt on day one of San Diego. And Cam takes a lot of pictures and talks to a lot of people. And there you go. Our shirt was right there. He That's had a, a, a picture taken with Rick Baker, and he mm-hmm. had the 11 O'Clock Comics shirt on. So I'm like, damn you, Cameron Hathaway, you are a man among men. So so thank you very mm-hmm. much for, for spreading the gospel.
0: He's deluged us with uh, love the last few weeks. Yeah, I know. Between the care packages and the drink. and uh, You know what? I didn't even think of that. Since I'm drinking, breaking my rule, I should have had some of that beer he gave me. You should have. But that's okay.
1: Yeah. You we have it some other time. You'll have it Sunday when we record.
0: Oh, shit. that's a bonus. Secret
1: bonus. You can have it another Give- time. You don't have to have it Sunday.
0: There we go. Right. Yes. So what... So have- I have been dying to ask you a question. What this? As we've seen, San Diego seems to coincide with a tremendous amount of Hollywood news these days. Yes. We see... Uh, we hear news of TV shows that get picked up. We hear, uh, we see previews and and footage of upcoming blockbuster movies. Mm-hmm. We hear about, of course, new comics and new video games. And I felt like for the last few years, it it started to feel like San Diego wasn't like the news central that it had had always been. It felt like it was getting a little more balanced out. But I felt like this year it got back to – San Diego felt important to me this year. It felt wow. like there was just a, a nonstop deluge of news. Um, see, you didn't I'm, see it that way?
1: No. Well, I wasn't really paying all that much of attention. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, I, I stumbled upon one trailer that just made my whole month. But uh, Well, I'm getting to that. Yeah, other than that, I didn't see a whole lot coming out of San okay. Diego.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I thought there was a lot of news, particularly about television shows. Um, can't say there was a ton of comic news per se, but, um, but yes, you just buried the lead, which is, I have been dying because you've been busy all week to hear what you thought of the Godzilla trailer. Wow. It, I thought it was amazing.
1: And I mean, it, it's pretty obvious who, um, the, uh, the other monsters are. I mean, if you're even an, remotely a Godzilla fan or a Kaiju fan, you could tell immediately what creatures are going to be in this it's mothra rodan king Ghidorah, and uh the big the big g uh godzilla and from what i'm getting from the trailer um the real enemy is is mankind i think right yeah mankind is the uh, infection and and the the kaiju are uh going to stomp it out and i'm all for it as uh maynard james keenan said uh, learn to swim and we are we are a pestilence on this planet. And I think it's a cool premise, mm-hmm. um, one that I would like to see come, to, you know, at least in in my uh, fiction, fictional entertainment, see come to pass. Because that'd be cool to see all these monsters just raise the planet and then start over. Where there's only little isolated pockets of of humans, and then you got all the kaiju like 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 destroy all monsters, but with limited human breaks, and then all just kaiju beating the crap out of each other. Mm-hmm. That would be fun.
0: Did Did you uh, check out the website I had post? Uh, I you didn't. No, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, and because I know that there's the, a
1: lot of Monarch information going on.
0: Yeah. Well, it was a monarch. It's a Monarch Industries website. You know, tie, fake site tied into the film, mm-hmm. and you have to use different codes to hack and to, to raise your security. Oh, that's clearance. cool. Um, and it's a it's it's a it's a map of the globe, and there are beacons that are tracking different activity levels, mm-hmm. and that's where the kaiju are. So it, it you can see Godzilla is walking across the earth, and you can actually track him, but there are different secret spots where there are kaiju, and for the most part, they're locked. So the ones you mentioned are unlocked, but there are a bunch of others as well. Wow! Now I don't know if if they're just doing that to so so the seeds for future films, for sequels or what have you, or we're going to see all of these all of these other monsters in the film too. I don't know that, but mm-hmm. but uh, it's pretty cool. I I really dig when when movies do the the website marketing. I loved when uh, Cloverfield did it. Yeah, that was so, great. That that yeah. was that was
1: uh, viral marketing perfection. Yeah, it really was. Um, I I can assume what's going to go on. Uh, I'm guessing that mm-hmm. Mothra is going to somehow uh, give her life to to help save the day at the end of the movie. It it you, you know what it's going to be. It's it's going to be Mothra, Rodan, and Godzilla against King Ghidra.
0: Or maybe all the other monsters,
1: or the ones that we may or may not appear. in. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, but King Ghidra is probably going to be the big bad. Who knows? Maybe they'll twist What's, it. Uh,
0: the smog one that you love, Hedora. Yeah.
1: So you got to hope the smog monster's in it. Yeah, but then I don't want to be like Final Wars, like uh, Final F- uh, Godzilla. Final Wars had a ton of monsters in it, but they were only in it for like I, the smog monster is literally, or if I'm Scotty Young, literally in the thing for two minutes. It's it. smog smog monster pops up two minutes and then you know he's gone um and and other monsters accordingly but you know some of them got a lot of screen time some of them got little tiny bits of screen time no Mm -hmm. if you're going to put them in use them don't don't just put them in just for flavor i i want to explore these things too many monsters is not good unless it's Mm -hmm. like destroy all monsters where that was just the WWE equivalent of a,
0: you know, kaiju. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I'm glad you dug it because. I thought it
1: was great.
2: Yeah.
0: I thought uh, of all the people I know, I, you were the one that would care about it the most. So. And um, Eleven's in it. How could you go wrong? That is true. She's getting herself a little typecast, I fear, but that's fine.
1: Oh, whatever. I mean, She's a great little actress, I think. She
0: is. She is. And. Um, all right. Well, cool. And I wanted to also. Shout out, well, for multiple reasons, but but speaking of television shows, it was announced today, yesterday, I think yesterday, that Mr. Tom King, who we may or may not talk about every now and then, is um, signed a deal with uh, Topic Studios and Playground Entertainment to develop a original television series called States of America. Get out of here. Yep. States of America takes place in a divided America, that is, under occupation by a foreign power to preserve peace after an unprovoked act of war. Deep cultural differences in America will come to surface and serve as battle cries. So, uh sounds very topical. Huh. Yeah, pretty okay. neat, right? Yeah, that is cool. Good for Tom. Yeah, it's in the development phase, so it hasn't been picked up. They haven't filmed a pilot or anything yet. So, as we know, a lot of times these things never come to fruition, but still super cool. Yeah. And uh, the last thing I wanted to and shout out and also goes to Tom is... The Eisners were this weekend because they happened at San Diego. And a bunch of people that we know and love won Eisners.
1: Look at that.
0: Uh, including Best Writer, which went, uh, it was a tie, actually. I think the first, at least the first time I've ever seen a tie. But uh, it was a tie between Mr. Tom King and Marjorie Lou for Monstrous. Yeah, we have to read that. Yeah, me too. That was the big winner of of the Eisners. I would say um, best best continuing series. So best comic, basically, was monstrous. Uh, Marjorie was she won for co writer, and by the way, pretty cool. She was um, apparently the first female ever to win best writer. That's crazy. Um, and then I believe, uh, let me just double check here. Uh, I uh, monstrous also won best publication for teens. And Sana won for best painter, and for best cover artist. So wow. that book took home a ton of of, uh, of gold.
1: See, okay, mm-hmm. um, I'm just going to be the naysayer here. Sight on on scene. Okay, un- okay. D- do you think it's a case of them picking a uh, poster child for this year's Eisners? Like, do you believe that in all of those categories? Like, mm-hmm. do you think th- and, and say best painter? Mm-hmm. and who who, do you, who did you say one Sana Takeda right now do you think that she is truly the best uh, in the industry or is like dean white you know what i mean like do, do you think they they pick a book and just run with it like okay we got the color artist let's let's throw it that way we got the writer is you know so if it's the if she's the best writer then her right. book would have to be the best periodical or the best ongoing so you know we'll give it to her there too like i i just think that sometimes they pick favorites and they just piece it out in categories
0: well i mean look i i can't get in the lines of the vote of the voters but i will say that if there is if there is something that the eisners have going for them i think it is their voting process which they have a completely different group of of judges every year mm-hmm they pick a completely different group. Uh, they go out of their way to make sure they pick a diverse group of, in terms of, um, retailers, editors, creators, uh, creators from in from indies and big two. Right. So it is a diverse group of voters, and they they have full control. They they winnow the list down to the nominees, and they pick. I mean, they they go into a room and are presented with all of the works of the winner of the nominees, and then they spend hours and hours discussing uh, who should win. So. I mean, I, if I'm, I'm looking at a list of past winners, it seems like a lot of years. There, there are. Uh, it's it's rare to have a book win four or five categories. You know, I, I like it happens I though. I mean, Saga, right? Saga I right. that happened. Um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't read the book, so I can't. I but but I have a hard time just sugge- suggesting it doesn't deserve it. I mean, um, like I feel like the Eisners doesn't play favorites. Cool. I don't know. But, yeah, so, but, but super cool for Tom. And, um, uh, I know our buddy Daniel Warren Johnson was, was, was bummed because he was nominated, but he didn't win. But I think he will have plenty of other opportunities. Yeah. I was just going
1: to say that. I think he's got many, many years ahead of him to win this, these
0: things. Yes. And, um, uh, he, uh, Mitch, M- and Mitch, Mitch Gerrids, uh, who is Tom's partner, uh, on Mr. Miracle, won for best pencil or inker. So, oh basically best artists. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I always like to see who wins and it gives me things to read. Like I have the first trade of monstrous or, and I think the first few issues too. Um, and I, I remember reading the first issue or two worth of stuff and liked it, but it just fell by the wayside. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm definitely going to jump back in it and just see what, what all the hubbub is about. Cause you know, everybody can't be wrong. Right true speaking of falling by the wayside
2: mm.
1: i picked up something that i haven't read in 10 20 let's see 1993 that would be 25 years right young blood Ah, I gorged on a bunch of Youngblood, and it's it's all because and you mean the original Youngblood or the yeah. new one? Oh, the original. Oh, the, so you don't mean the new one with Jim Toad drawing? No, 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 no. I went okay. to the OG Rob Liefeld Youngblood, um, mm-hmm. and it's all because here's the instigating factor: uh, Michelle Fife did Bloodstrike, a, yes. an, an updated version of of Bloodstrike in in yes. in chronology with what had been done. And I was like, okay, I I, I love uh Michelle Fife, so I have to read this, but my knowledge of Bloodstrike is is spotty at best. So thank you, Josh Ginter. I, I, I went on Josh has a last comic shop on uh Facebook and he sells comics and I got a ton of Bloodstrike and Brigade for for peanuts, basically pennies on the dollar. And um and I got hooked and I and, and so the young blood characters appear. In Bloodstrike and Brigade, and I was like, "Oh, you know what? I, yes, I bought the original Blood or uh, Young Blood when it came out, but I didn't stick with it. The only one I stuck with is was Savage Dragon and, and Spawn. I, I dropped off Shadow, uh, Savage, um, Shadow Hawk. I dropped off Cyberforce. I dropped off Young Blood. Like I didn't stick with any of the original Image creators' books, and neither did they, but uh, except for spawn and savage dragon so i went back and and what do you know josh had a bunch of young bloods and i scooped those up for cheap and so i read young blood zero to five
0: wow i i i have the issues somewhere i also have an oversized hardcover that came out maybe i don't know about a year maybe two years ago they put out a anniversary issue no way maybe maybe yeah so and I think it collects the first 10 issues, maybe? Get the hell out of here. Yeah, but I haven't opened it. It's just sitting on the shelf. But uh, I got to tell you, I, I remember the, the artwork, but I cannot, I can't say I remember the story that much. Okay, well, this is good,
1: because I'm going to bring you up to speed. Speak because I know that you wanted to read something for next episode. Yes. Which will tie into this, okay?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Excuse my dog. It's all right. Created, written, penciled, and inked by Rob the God Liefeld. Um, with dialogue assist by Hank Canals, uh, some scripting by Eric Stevenson, additional pencils by Dan Fraga and Chap Yep. <laughs> Chap, yep. Chap Yep's in here. Uh, <laughs> additional inks by Danny Mickey and Norm Rapmond. Uh, color art by Brian Murray, Steve Olaf, and Paul Mounts. Okay, so that's all of the people involved in Youngblood 0 to 5. Now, I. In in typical zero-issue fashion, Zero was published after number one had come out.
0: But, of course.
1: Right. So um, I'm going to do the rundown on the zero issue because I think the zero issue is important. Um, the tone that, that Rob established early on with zero and one is nothing what the book would later become. It's mm-hmm. the strangest thing. It's, it's almost as if he was doing issue one and at the end of it he said, Oh! <gasps> Like, after, after all the pencils had been, uh, pencil, pages had been penciled and, and inked, and he goes, holy shit, I should do this. It's like mm-hmm. he had an idea for Youngblood in, while working on it for number one, and then a completely different idea with number two up. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you remember feeling that way, but. I don't remember. Right, but I have the, the benefit of having read these this week. So mm-hmm. it's all fresh in in, in my mind. Um, issue zero: bad stuff's going down in Kuwait. You got the Iraqis, led by Hussein, not Hussein, Hussein, are stepping over the line, and the U.S. government, you know, wants to pre- preserve its interests, so it sends in this elite, genetically enhanced strike force, and that's young blood led by uh, Colonel John Helix Stone, a.k.a. Battlestone, which you will Mm -hmm. see when you get into Bloodstrike and Brigade. Uh, Mm -hmm. His team consists of Die Hard Chapel, Riptide, Colonel Boggs, Reigns, and a a man named Gamble. Uh, The mission goes tits up. Boggs and Reigns investigate this underground weapons cache against Stone's orders, I, I may add, Um, The stuff goes kablooey, Boggs and Reigns are presumed lost, and Gamble makes a bid uh, to search for them, but um, Stone's not having it. It's not a good idea, I'm I'm in charge, you're not doing it, you stay right where you are, and, you know, let's just continue our our mission here. Um, But Reigns, like, presses the issue, and he gets a little bit too personal, and Battlestone punches him, and kills him. One punch kills him. Reigns wasn't superpowered. And so he kills him. And then Chapel gets all in his face. And Chapel pulls rank. And Stone gets uh, brought back and placed under arrest. And he's incarcerated. But he he just gets a slap on the wrist. Because, um, you know, he's a fine serviceman for his country prior to the incident. And there's an election this year. So they don't want to stir up any of the the poop. They don't want any, any undue attention. So... Um, Battlestone is just relieved of duty, uh, as leader of, of Youngblood. And then the team is later reconfigured. Um, they have a new lineup at the end of the Zero Issue. You got Bedrock, Vogue, Die Hard, um, Combat, the Catelyn, which is K-H apostrophe A-M-B-T, Combat, uh, Chapel, and the man named Link. And they're all placed under the command of Shaft. Which is where it goes into the first issue, right? Um, and as I said, Battlestone would rather, later go on to lead Brigade. And going back and rereading this, it amazes me. Uh, I don't know if Rob was just, if it was just dumb luck or the consumed with inspiration, uh, he just threw himself. 100 percent into this project it boggles my mind how closely linked young blood brigade and um blood strike is are were mm-hmm. it, it, it's crazy it's almost as if he planned it this way and and that's why i, I would love to get him on again just to see if it will and you know rob would be he'd be honest if, oh, yeah. if he just stepped in the poop along the way, he'd be like, "You know, I had no plans at all for that. I just came out that way." And then fifteen minutes later, we'd find out why. But <laughs> it's, the um, the guiding force in in these comics is testosterone. They're they're pure macho bravado, testosterone, Jack Kirby influenced. Male-dominated superhero throwdowns. that That's their they're sequential art created by 20-something men for 20-something men. That's – the women are voluptuous. Sure. They mm-hmm. have no spines. Um, it's all, you know, tits up, ass out uh they're they're all gorgeous the men are all ripped and giant and you know throwing their dicks at each other it's just it's a sausage fest and, but i needed it this is exactly what i wanted you know and the more i see Leifeld's art the more i love i can revisit his art over and over i love it more with each exposure and and there there as as you will see, you'd see if you go on the internet and just you know um check out the response Rob sometimes gets or has received in the past he, he has a lot of detractors I say him. I think rob's work to my eyes it's 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 just perfect it's not elegant there there are there are obviously there are shortcomings to the work but you know what so what there were shortcomings to kirby's work too and yes I'm not Putting those two in the same category, but approach-wise, in, in in terms of the way they both approached comics, there is a lot of similarity between Jack Kirby and Rob Liefeld. I've said it before, it's, and, and I believe it to be true. Now, is Rob anywhere near a storyteller? A good storyteller as Jack? Hell no, right? But that the it, it's all about the power with Liefeld. It's all about the energy and the power with Kirby. The, the approach is
0: very much the same. Do you agree? You're being quiet, and it's killing me. No, I'm, I mean, I'm listening to you. Because, uh, again, I don't I don't, remember the book that well. Um, yeah, well, listen, dude, if you're asking me if I agree with you about giving Rob praise. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm the one that just dropped five Gs on one of his drawings, so... You well, that's know that's true, that's true.
1: And, again, it also amazes me that the books that Rob started and image are basically continuations of his X-Men work under different names and different characters. Yeah. It's
2: it. it, Yeah. Right. I mean,
1: I mean, he took what made him popular at Marvel and just put a different coat of paint on it. Yes. He deepened the the storyline or he rechristened the storyline to, to fit his new mold. But it, these characters are basically Rob's X-Men. Mm -hmm. Sorry, X-Forced. Yep. Yeah. Now, here's where it gets a little weird. Uh, Youngblood number one was a flip book. One side was the Youngblood home team, which was Bedrock, Combat, Mm -hmm. Chapel, Vogue, Die Hard, and Shaft. And on Mm -hmm. the other side, the team which would be known as uh, Team Youngblood, but they're really the away team. It was Brahma, Riptide, uh, Photon... Sci Fire, Sentinel, and Cougar. Uh, the home team takes on the four, which is Strong Arm, Gage, Starbright, and the anti here. We would get to know a lot better in Bloodstrike, the man known as Deadlock. See, he's he's putting characters in Youngblood that he's going to pull out and use in another book. Like, Rob is really smart. You damn Skippy. And, and he, he. Liefeld never shows the outcome of the battle it's it's young blood proper versus the four and the battle doesn't end like they, it just it stops right in the middle of a it, there's a double page spread of young blood running into battle and then you don't see how how you don't see the outcome of the thing and and mm-hmm. then you have the away team cleaning up the the Hussein mess um and this is where it gets really weird sci fire kills the the dictator he he blows his head up and they spin it to to make it look like um, Hussein uh, killed himself, committed suicide. And even Shaft, who is pretty much the squeaky clean boy in, in all of this, he's at a press conference later on in the series. And he's like, yes, um, all indicators per, uh, lead to uh, Hussein taking his own life. And it's like a total lie. He's just, you know. Um, so you have issue one, which is just these these young blood teams Fighting other superpowered characters and/or um, overseas dictators, and, and then Rob Ro- wisely opens up the story to more fantastic proportions with issue two, because um, mm-hmm. he got this government strike force. Like, how interesting is that going to be over a period of time? And we, we already had something like that with the Suicide Squad and, you know, I mean, the Justice League Task Force. There, there was many other teams that were controlled by the government and set in to do, you know, our dirty work. So kind of boring. So what he did was issue two. He, he stuck profit into the mix.
0: And I completely forgot that profit came out of Youngblood. Mm. Yeah, yeah, vaguely remember. I mean, now I got to go back and read these.
1: You got to read them, right? Uh, so, what what young blood becomes with issue two? Liefeld turns on a dime, and he makes this the book a Kirby fueled, character laden, testosterone um, kind of a mystery over what, who is the man called Prophet? Where did he come mm-hmm. from? Why does? Why are these berserkers fighting for him? Why, like, there's another planet called Decay, and there's a tyrannical (laughs) ruler, Lord Darkthorn, and he's got this army of disciples, and he wants Prophet dead. And, um, the berserkers, uh, you got Wildmane, Battleaxe, Psystorm, Cross. Their leader's name is Jackson Kirby. It's Jack Kirby. In in the Youngblood comic, like it is, no doubt. Yeah. He's got the cigar, he's got the headband, two two guns, in e- a gun in each hand, and it's it's Jack Kirby. So, like the the inspiration is is obvious, but I think when Prophet is introduced into Youngblood, that's when the book really takes off for me because well,
0: be, I was going to say you love Prophet. I love
1: Prophet, and mm-hmm. and it's all here. You got the Direct Orbiting Communications Command, the doc. Um, helping him along. It's just the mythology of Prophet takes up the next three issues. But Rob screwed up. The Youngblood was only supposed to be a a four-issue miniseries. And he got to issue four and ran out of pages. So they had to continue the story in the pages of Brigade Number (laughs) 4. It's like, what?! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> either he was so into it that he added pages as he was doing it or he screwed up and didn't take account of how many pages he would need to tell the tale but brigade number no. four is a flip book so if you're one of those people like myself who catalogs their comics brigade number no. four and young blood number no. five are the same book So you got to click. Which is hella
2: annoying. It is.
1: You got to click them off. To hey, Valiant did that to death, right? But you got to you got to click them off twice, or 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 make sure that you have Brigade Four clicked and Youngblood Five. If if you're one of those who likes to take account of their books like I do, because I forget what I bought. But long story short, way long story short, I had the absolute best time. There, there is. A page there's two pages where Shaft is fighting ninjas and yeah I am one that's prone to hyperbole when I love something and I was uh, I'll say okay take what I'm about to say with a tiny little grain of salt there's Shaft fighting these ninjas and the fight choreography is so well done that these pages and you could see these pages in our gallery on the 11oClockComics.com site uh, accompanying this episode. Rob holds his own in terms of fight choreography with Frank Miller on these two pages. They are really well-done pages. Are you saying it's good or not, though? Dude. <laughs> I'm saying they're they're exceptional. Yee. Yeah. And and I, I just love Rob's work. I think he is like Jack Kirby he's one of those artists that whether I don't I think it was just by dumb luck he got it he he understands what comics are for yes mm-hmm. Barry Windsor Smith is amazing and he is elegant and and Draws everything where it should be—flora, uh, fauna, the human figure—all of it. He he blocks and stages a panel with precision and and taste and and uh, again, elegant is the word I would use for Barry Windsor Smith. Leifeld's none of that. Leifeld comes in and he's got a sledgehammer, a pencil with, that that has a giant sledgehammer on the end of it, and he just bangs it out, and you can feel. The reverberations through each of the panels on the page—it's—it's it's massive. It's pulse pounding. It's just rah, testosterone, and I—I I love it. I love his yeah. stuff.
0: Yeah. You know what's funny? I um for for me the reason I think Liefeld stood out from the Image Pack or anyone else that was making comics at that point for me and you'll understand this when I say mm-hmm. it, because you know me, is that he created a bunch of new characters.
1: And that's another w- reason why I compare um, felt to Kirby. Yeah. He seemed to be this endless generator of, of new characters. Yes,
0: they were... Derivative. Like, I remember reading Comic Buyer's Guide Yeah, one time. I remember it was at my LCS. And I, in retrospect, it was clear we were getting to the, to the point of the bubble bursting, because my LCS had turned into a... Card and coin shop as well, and the place was packed with people, you know, buying baseball cards, trading baseball cards and stuff. And I was leafing through on a Wednesday, as we used to do, I was leafing through um, Comic Buyer's Guide, and this was when Rob was on the come up at Marvel, and it was an entire feature about all of the new characters he was going to introduce in New Mutants. Right. And I remember seeing pictures of Ferrell and uh, uh strife and cable and um what was the name of that uh six-armed dude anyway but point was a bunch of different characters that he had designed and um i just was absolutely captivated because mm-hmm. you know i got into comics through a hot move through the idea of of nerding out and reading about for me the continuity the history their powers their their, 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 their big moments was, was that was the crack that got me into these, these universes of continuity and never let me go. So the idea of new characters that were cool and mysterious and were going to be important, just totally pulled me in. And he was not the only one doing new characters back then. Hell, that's one of the reasons these guys all left to do images because they all realized that, uh, they were there. All of their creativity was, was going to go the way of, of Marvel's pocketbook, just like all of Jack's creativity did. Yep. Um, but yeah, I just I always loved that Rob just, just loved to create new characters. And hell, you're, you're alluding to it. When he, when he had, was an image, he was completely unfettered to do that. And were a lot of them derivative? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing about Rob is he must have created 10,000 characters in his life. Now, he might not have ever done anything with, with 90% of them. Uh, <laughs> but, based, but... based on that Netflix take, I don't think he really had to
2: exactly
1: yeah.
0: but he did it you know and, and i always love that about him I, I just you know i i i know people joke about his anatomy and yeah I, and, yeah. Uh,
1: like do we really care no that's I, Dave, david does david
0: cares i don't care. well i know you yeah don't i mean i think for for co- i think comics i i think the best cartooning isn't hyper realistic yes I, I totally agree with you well i know you agree i mean yeah. and you're even you're willing to go even further afield than i am but but I just I think that uh, you know there's a reason why McFarlane is the only modern uh, comic book artist who whose art gets sold for six figures. Yeah. and and I know, and our boy Dap don't want to speak ill of money, but he loves to poke fun at McFarlane's bad anatomy and Spider Man. And you're right, objectively, if you look at a Todd Spider Man drawing. Spider-Man is doing things that a human body would be incapable of doing. No doubt about it. But that's what made it cool. Right.
2: Exactly. Because
0: when you're reading the comic and you're in your mind, it's like a action film that you're reading through and and picturing all of the stuff that's happening in between the panels you're in your mind filling in. His Spider-Man looked cooler than any other Spider-Man of the time. Right. It didn't matter that – like like the exaggeration worked in its favor and uh yeah i think that's always served rob now rob has very specific body types i mean i think from an anatomical perspective the men and the women that he draw look largely similar to one another um the costumes and the hair headdresses and the 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 you know their 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 weaponry and all that stuff that changes that changes a lot that's where he is fun he's almost like he he's like the guy that has a a barbie and a ken doll and he just loves to make new costumes for them you know I have
1: a lot uh, an exercise that I that I do with my kids and mm. um a lot of times what they'll do is they'll take pictures.
0: You um, mean your students or your children?
1: My my students. They they'll, oh, they'll take pictures of their their buddies. They'll pose them and then they'll assemble them in Photoshop and and they draw over them. I mean they're smart. They they're on mm-hmm. a deadline. They don't have um you know a whole lot of time with what with their other classes and and their workload so so they'll draw over them and Mm -hmm. inevitably the outcome is their their figures are boring they're they're lifeless they're static even though they Mm -hmm. drew from life all the parts are in the perfect positioned um the 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 bone structure is all there the muscles are Mm -hmm. all there everything is perfect but the drawings are freaking boring they're lifeless and then you have a guy who just wings it and fucks up and the you know doesn't have all the pieces in the right place but his drawing has a spark that the posed drawing person it does they don't have it Mm -hmm. and and that's what that's what Liefeld and McFarlane um and Larson well you know, Larson always had the spark, but but that's what they brought mm-hmm. to the table. They brought energy. They brought dynamism. They their drawings weren't perfect by any mm-hmm. stretch of the imagination. And if they were, they'd be freaking boring. Look at look at Greg Land. His drawings are boring because he he traces and or or uses reference. He, he's hamstrung by reference. He needs it. He's afraid to just wing it and just draw an arm mm-hmm. or or
0: uh, just throw it's shit. Funny it's hmm. funny you say that. He uh he was he was at Heroes. Did you know that? No. We didn't even talk to him. But uh when but I've was. seen some some commissions that he's done in the last few few months because he's been doing some cons and he's been doing commissions. Now, I guess if you're a fan of his cover work, these commissions are amazing because they look exactly the same.
2: Hmm.
0: Um but he just he yeah, he just he has one one woman that he tra- draws and just Uses he her in lots and lots of poses. All for like, his sake, it's like his wife or something because she's and pretty and hot. That, you know, yeah, that, that.
1: that's not a bad thing. I mean, it ensures his uh, he's insured employment, or he's that's making true. you know he's making money. People, some people are buying it, but uh, no, I give give me Leifeld or or, or um, Larson any day, mm-hmm. any, any day of the week.
0: But it sounds like, even though you had a fun romp down memory lane, that it's understandable why a book like Youngblood didn't stand the test of time from a narrative perspective like Oh no Savage Dragon or Spawn did.
1: No, I think no, I think you're 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 reading stuff into my words that aren't oh, there. Okay. I think okay. the story's
0: great.
2: Yeah.
1: You do. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean it's it's not a stretch. You have a um a despot from a, another Dimension who comes over here and and um, Rob's love for Kirby is unabashed in this thing. I okay. mean, the he caught the the Darkthorn comes over to our universe by uh, a crash tunnel. It's a boom tube, but Rob calls it a crash mm-hmm. tunnel like mm-hmm. that that's amazing you know what i mean and it's just mm-hmm. he 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 took this fourth world thing that he thought was cool and he brought it into the extreme universe and he just renamed it slightly he called it a crash tunnel
2: mm-hmm.
0: that
1: that's ballsy but that's rob rob is ballsy you know well rob and, never lacked bravado in that regard. no 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 Um uh, but it's 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 a basic tale of of you know we got to stop I got to kill this pro- this John Prophet cuz he he works into prophecy and there's freedom fighters on one side and there's uh disciples on the other and it's just I mean there's really nothing complex about it but mm-hmm. I think I think Rob gets um lumped on um in terms of story as well as art because his, his stuff isn't very complex but on the surface it's not complex but when you look at these characters and they're cross-pollinating between young blood and bloodstrike and brigade and mm-hmm. and and new men and it's just all and profit and all these books um glory uh, which crossed over with with spawn at one point like it was glory and angela and then the the extreme universe is is complex just in terms of immersion where have all these characters just hopping over in each other's books i think that's awesome that's the marvel universe in the in its infancy that's the marvel universe now You just these these characters exist in the same physical space why shouldn't they cross over but the fact is rob created them all so yeah, you know yeah. it's like a big big rob liefeld sandbox and they're all freaking having a good time and i never noticed it back then because the name changed, but Bad, Bad Rock's original name was Bedrock. And he had a, a thing-like slogan that he used to cry when he went into battle. Do you remember what it was? Ah, uh, jeez, I don't. I love Bad Rock. Yabba-dabba-doom. Ooh. No, that's awesome, because his name is mm. Bed, His name's Bedrock. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yabba-dabba-doom. That is so cool. It, it works uh you know whatever and then chap Yap <laughs> comes on with issue five oh, good old chap chap wasn't bad
0: i wonder what happened well to chap. i mean well they he was uh,
1: all those he guys was a clone i mean sure sure all those guys were cut from the same yeah. cloth you know whether the jim lee cloth or the and it's amazing all jim's books Look like Jim drew them, whether you know it was Jim or not. All Rob's oh, yeah. books look like Rob drew them, whether it sure. was Rob. But that that's cool, you know. I mean, if you can have mm-hmm. a style, exploit it. No, I I love these books. I mean, I'm sending the word out. I I need to complete my Rob Liefeld collection, so I'll, I'll trade shit with anybody. If I don't have it, I'll trade you for it. All right. Yeah. But and that that's my question <laughs> to you. I said it on the Slack. Why? hasn't there not been an extreme omnibus like well blood strike and brigade I mean, the first couple issues of those books they ping pong back and forth we need an omnibus of this shit well i mean i guess my image doesn't do omnibu do they i mean well who cares let's start don't sure. you think rob is reason enough to start with well, let's omnibu? have rob on and ask him that yeah well that's what i wanted to do but you did you said he was busy yes he, I think he would take time out of his busy day for you, but whatever.
0: <laughs> I guess not. It's apparently not.
1: I guess I'm, I'm on the outs. I don't know. Now, Did you really ask him or did you not? You didn't. Jerk. I mean... <laughs> You're a jerk. I did in my head. <laughs> yeah, I meant to. Yeah, but I just didn't. What did you read? I have read a mainstream book for this week, so you'll be happy
0: with it. Oh, me. cool. I read a couple things, but I thought um, since I I went ahead and did it, we asked our faithful... Crew, our EOC, our EOC if they had any questions for us.
2: Oh, go do it.
0: So I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna jump in and see if we got, we got any something sums. All right. Um, it sounds moderately so. fun. Moderately fun. Nice. Moderately fun. Moderately. Wow, that's rough. Okay. Um, here's a question from 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 forum member David A. Price. What? Right. Hey, man. If Boo asks a question, Boo's getting the question answered. Okay. We've seen Bendis go to DC. We've seen creators catering to Netflix. We've seen C-list characters on the big screen. I know it might be hard to guess because you won't be surprised until it happens. But what could be such a big deal that makes you say, I never thought I'd ever see the day? (sighs) Hmm. I'll think on it, too. I will say that this is the cop-out answer, but but what I do wholeheartedly believe is this happens all the time now. Like, I never thought I'd see all the Avengers on screen together. I never thought I'd see Deadly Class turned into a TV show. I never thought I'd see Why the Last Man turned into a TV show. Uh, you know? I So... so I feel like we're in this incredible era where these kinds of things are happening all the time, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but I, one else I'll, I'll say, which I, I hinted at our, on our Facebook group a couple weeks ago. Um, and based on the way David's asking the question, I guess it's gotta be something that seems like pretty far fetched or we don't actually think it's going to happen. Uh, I, but I will say I could see it happening, which is, I could see a day when, Disney Marvel does not um, directly publish comics anymore. Um, they are working very closely with IDW on a bunch of things. For a while now, they've been giving IDW the rights to the Disney uh, to the to the Disney proper characters, the the ducks and the mice and whatnot. And not too long ago, allowed them to start doing Star Wars Adventures even though Marvel's putting out a bunch of Star Wars books. And then it was announced at San Diego that they have formed a partnership where IDW is going to start doing all-age-focused Marvel superhero books. And I know it, you could argue it's just a continuation of, of what we've already seen, but that felt massive to me, that Marvel would allow another publishing company to write new stories with their superhero characters. That really, really piqued my curiosity. So I don't know if that means that they just think IDW, for some reason, gets kid comics better than they do and is letting them focus on that. I don't know if this is a precursor to them tying up with IDW and maybe buying IDW. Um, I don't know if this is a case where they're saying hey let's see how idw does with our characters and maybe we'll see if they're up to snuff and we'll ha- we'll, we'll we'll outsource our publishing to them I, I i don't to be clear i don't think that's what's happening because that would be fairly shocking and i still think even though comics is a small business a tiny tiny business in the in the in the massive disney complex i do still think it's a profitable business and i don't know that they'd be clamoring to get rid of a profitable business um but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm definitely intrigued that, that Marvel would let IDW publish new Marvel superhero comics. That that shocks me.
2: Wow.
1: I think it's it's ironic that all this these uh advances are, are happening at IDW so soon after the departure of uh Chris Riel. You know what I mean? Because like yeah. it it's it, it makes one think, right? I don't know. Whether they were yeah, just waiting and, for and, him
0: to leave, or or it's just coincidence, well, it's just, or the um know. the publisher of IDW, uh, his name escapes me, who was named the CEO last year, was uh, just stepped down, and they appointed a new CEO. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, could, I mean, be, I that don't know could be that too. Something's going on at IDW for sure. How much of it has to do with Marvel? I don't know. But that that would that even even though I'm I'm talking about it here, that would still surprise me because I can't fathom marvel not publishing marvel comics and dc not publishing dc comics but but uh, we could see the day yeah um
1: i don't have an answer to this question because no you know know what like i because i uh, the the movies and the tv shows i i I really couldn't be concerned about them so the Mm -hmm. I, i i never thought i'd see the day i guess i'll play along i never thought i'd see the day i'd see howard the duck on the screen again you know, such as it was, it was still Howard the Duck. I, if you told me at the end of, of uh, the Lucas movie that you'll see him again on the screen, I'd be like, shut the fuck up. We'll never see this again because it's a mess mm-hmm. and nobody ever would want to do this again. But it it was, so I guess it was kind of cool. Um, I don't know. Uh, in terms of the publishing, I I would like to see, uh, okay, never thought I'd see the day that Turok, uh, Solar, Man of the Atom, and Magnus Robert Fighter would come back to Valiant.
0: Nice, okay. There, that's one. That's a good one.
1: Yeah, just playing along. I like that.
0: Uh, John Pasolacqua, and I'm guessing you're going to have more to say on this than I will, would like to know our favorite jazz albums post-2000. Mm. And I must admit, I, I can't say that I am an active listener of modern jazz, so I'm going to just... the only The only group that I listen to on a regular basis that I think would qualify for this question is martin Medeski and wood yeah and love them love them so i'd I'd have to say for me um let's go everywhere which came out um, oh that's the kids one yeah yeah eight nine ten years ago um what was uh was it invincible uh, uh, invisible Un- Un- uninvisible right that that was the one that came yeah, out yeah 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 so, I mean, those, I enjoy those. They're, I mean, again, I like that band. Um, I, I, but, yeah, other than that, I mean, I, I can't say I listen to a lot of modern jazz, which is not because I don't like jazz, but I got to be honest, if I'm, I'm in the mood for jazz, I'm probably not listening to modern jazz. I'm listening to, to, to classic stuff. so Hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, that Kamasi uh, Washington or K- Kamasi Kamasi Washington those two albums that he put out are phenomenal uh Heaven and Earth mhm okay um and let's see what the first one is the first one was The Epic and it's Kamasi Washington yeah I love these albums and and mm-hmm. the thing about it is um The Epic I think is is two or three albums and the the Heaven and Earth is four like, who puts out four albums of original content these days and just calls it one thing? Mm-hmm. You know, Heaven and Earth is, is four frickin' albums. It's insane, and it's all really good. Long songs, you know, but mm-hmm. I, love, I love long songs. You do. All um, right, that's cool. Yeah. Um, this is going to, no, again, the, I think the best jazz albums post-2000 have come out from Feeding Tube Records. And, okay. and i'm not going to get into the long list of all the people and now this is not traditional jazz this is not brass and drums this may be some electric instruments some music concrete uh but if you are not a listener or you've never checked out feeding tube records go to feeding tube uh, mm-hmm. i think i think it's FeedingTube.com or FeedingTubeRecords.com. they're they're amazing um very limited Uh, runs on their albums i don't think they publish they print over 500 of any given release so Mm -hmm. so it's small stuff but you you get the download code with the albums and their their stuff is ungodly good feeding tube records yeah
0: there we go i knew you'd come through with that one uh okay so we'll do one more question and then i'll jump into a book here um love love it love it love it Let's see. Uh, I'm going to skip that one because I don't think it pertains to us, really. Um, All right. Uh, Okay, let's see. Um, John O'Neill. No, no, we'll go back. We'll we'll jump down one. Frank Lanza Jr. What percentage of your monthly pool list is exclusively digital these days? (sighs) Boy. Mine is zero.
1: I don't buy digital books.
0: (sighs) I'd say roughly 20% for me. No kidding. And that's probably a soft number because I read a lot of Marvel stuff now on Marvel Unlimited. Like anything that I'm not actively buying the issues for as they're coming out, a lot of the series um, I'll just read on Marvel Comics Unlimited on the lag. So. Hmm. Yeah,
1: I'm taking one. Chris Chavez says, skeleton or skeleton. Chris, come on. Everyone knows it's skeleton. <laughs> Jeez.
2: It's a silly All question. All right. One,
0: one, one last one, then. Uh, what per- uh, Mr. Kevin Quas asks, what percentage of the shows do you estimate have you recorded the full 11 p.m. to midnight hour? Uh, quite a few.
1: Oh, yeah. Everybody. I
0: mean, we start at 9 o'clock Eastern, usually, and we rarely end before midnight. Right. I mean, I'd say 70%, 70 70, 80%, right? Higher. Higher, yeah. right? Yeah, because we're still going after, after yeah. 11. Yeah, I mean, know? I think the only difference is we call ourselves 11 o'clock comics because we, yeah, that was... we started recording at 11 in the first. I don't even know how long we did that for. but Not long yeah. because as soon as we realized that we were going over two
1: hours, we're yeah. like, screw this 11 o'clock shit. We got to knock it back to like nine.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, but we uh, did, and we, I think Dap too. Also, his job changed where he right. he was working eve- late, and that's and then he was yeah. But anyway, yeah, that was. But but that's it. I mean, I think right. The irony is we we we've never stopped recording at eleven. It's just we're two hours in by then. Right. Yeah. Um. All right. Cool. So books. I I uh, I did read a, a decent amount over the last few weeks, but I read two um two collected editions. What, what this week that I am in love with both. Wow. Wow, you're shocked by that?
1: No well no. I I want to know what these are.
0: Um I gotta say, they are they are making a name for themselves of late for us, deservedly so Lionforge. Woot. Uh I read it's um it is called uh, A Sea of Love. And it is Written by Wilfred Lupano, illustrated by Gregory Panaccioni, who is French, by the way, which is an Italian-Frenchman. I don't know how that works, but um, I am in love with this book. As of right now, this book is winning my Oclosker for Best Graphic Novel. What? Yes, yes. It is um, a hardcover, twenty-four ninety-nine. That's part of the Magnetic Collection, which is... Uh, Lion Forge's um, uh, um, Infinity. h part of Magnetic as well. It's it's where they're taking foreign material and 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 packaging here in the U.S. Uh, this is uh, an Italian comic that uh, they brought over here. It's two hundred and twenty four pages, fully painted. It's watercolors, and it is a, it's a silent book. It's purely illustra- illustrated. There's no no words at all, hmm. and it is. Fantastic. The premise. Um, An elder, well, yeah, I guess they're elderly. An older couple, uh, husband and wife, are going about their day. The man is a little, tiny, balding, hairy, little Italian fisherman dude. He looks like uh, an old Italian Mr. Magoo. Mm. He's a commercial fisherman. His wife is a large, uh, let's say significant (laughs) in her, uh, proportions. Um, burly, somewhat domineering looking woman, um, dressed as many old Italian women are in the old country. And, you know, like an all black, uh, long skirt and blouse and, and a black hairnet, um, and they're going about their business, and and essentially it's a it's a love story and a crazy adventure on the seas. Um, the the it's just, it's it's kind of like the worst week of of a, of a fisherman's life uh, on paper, and his wife goes on an equally crazy adventure, although much more enjoyable in her quest to try and find where he is. So he goes out on his boat, the Maria, named after her, and it's a little tiny fishing boat and he's fishing for sardines uh because I get it you know they're italian sardinia and it's uh he hates sardines his wife's always giving him cans of sardines to bring on the boat to eat and he just hates them he has bad dreams about them he's just sick of them
2: but sardines. that's
0: what they well i'm sure he did at one point too I mean, he did right. eat anything over and over again so he's on his boat with his crew and shit's just gone haywire uh, a a, uh, a cruise ship gets in their wake and knocks them off course then they get they get almost destroyed by a gigantic commercial fishing fishing vessel they get caught his little boat gets caught in the giant industrial nets that they use to pull up tens of thousands of pounds of, of fish at once uh, and he can't escape the net and they don't see him and he has to put his crew on a life raft to save them, but he doesn't want to abandon his ship. And then he eventually gets past that. And there's just bad thing after bad thing, uh, which gets him to be lost at sea with no fuel, no food. Uh, and essentially, you know, up shit's Creek, but he, he does never give up hope because, you know, he's an old man. Presumably he's been through a lot before. He just keeps, keeps going about his business. Just trying to, trying to go about his business. And he's, he's, his only companion is a seagull that, uh, it lands on his boat at one point, and uh, his beak is caught up in a plastic six-pack liner, and he rescues the bird from that. And so the bird is his annoying sidekick, but uh, he does come in handy at points. And uh, dude, just having a rough go of it, man. There's there's bad storms, there's um, you know uh, other natural disasters, there's pirates, uh, it, just anything that can go wrong on the high seas goes wrong for the, for this poor guy. So his wife dutiful comes to the dock waiting for her husband to return from his fishing expedition and all the other boats are coming into port and she's seeing other people and other families reunite and and there's no sign of her husband and she's she's getting worried and she she finally figures out that something must be wrong so she goes and she uh, talks to the local police and the local mayor and yeah you know, they're big well, i don't you know they're not they don't say it but they it's illustrated like they really can't help her uh but she doesn't want to give up and she uh she she goes to see a fortune teller and and the fortune teller um, through a, a set- set of circumstances makes a pancake hmm. and and much like uh reading tea leaves she reads people's futures through what she can see inside of a pancake batter. Wow. And she puts the, and it could be more like a crepe, I guess, really given that it's Europe, but she makes a crepe. Let's say she puts the crepe down on the pan and the middle of the table. And it's a fucking picture of Che Guevara. Wow. So the woman, the wife takes that as a sign that, that her husband is near Cuba. Now she's in Italy. She's never left Italy, but she's fast to figure how to get to Cuba. So she knows that cruise ships exist. She gives basically every penny she has to buy a ticket to go on a cruise ship that's heading to Cuba, and uh, she's never seen a cruise. I mean, the, the debauchery and the luxury of a cruise ship is just baffling to her. You know, she's very prim and proper, She's very religious. Like she goes into her uh, her stateroom and takes the picture that's hanging the stateroom down, and she hangs up a cross. And, and, you know, she's overwhelmed by the whole thing. She's not having the life and death experiences that her husband's having, but, but she's still a fish out of water. I mean, she's seasick, and she's totally put off by the uh, scantily clad women in their bikinis and the, the, the men and women drinking and smoking and being loud. And, um, but, you know, she's on the ship, and as I can attest to someone who just went on a cruise, when you're on the ship, you're on the ship. Nothing you can do about it, but just, just accept it. And uh slowly but surely, she begins to like these people and loosen up and she her her ways are perceived as awesome by them like she she's crocheting at one point and uh, making doilies, and the other women are fascinated by it, and all of a sudden, all these super hot chicks and bikinis are are having her teach them how to sew, and they're sewing doilies too and um at one point she's in the the dining room eating, and they bring her lobster. And she tries it, and she gets all mad, and she demands to see the chef. And she goes into the chef, and they're yelling at each other. And then she takes over the kitchen and starts cooking, and she makes a lobster for him. And she sticks a fork of it in his mouth. And, of course, it's the best thing he's ever tasted. And he hugs her, and they start serving her version of the lobster now. And um, she's like the hero. Like, everywhere she goes, people love her. She eventually gets to Cuba, and she ends up doing line dancing with Fidel Castro. (laughs) It's absolutely baffling, but she's on this, like, crazy, almost almost – National Lampoon level vacation where the accidental tourist and all of these things are going right for her and uh and she but she she's just trying to find her husband and she she doesn't really have success there, but she's trying to find her husband. Uh and he's he's on his adventure and everything's going wrong, but he keeps persevering. And as you can imagine, um, you know, they eventually do reunite. And um and it's crazy how they reunite and they go back to living their their lives again, just, just back to the mundane of, of being together and loving each other in a quiet existence. And it, it's, it's just one of those stories that's so strange and unique that, uh, it's wonderful. And it's, it's the fact that there's no words is just fantastic. It's a storybook and it's, it's painted so beautifully. And and it's so to what we were just saying, it's, it's, uh, the, the, the Panessioni is a, in a, is an Italian uh, animator by trade. And so, um, you know the it looks like p- panels from a, from a cartoon and uh everything is just you know the storms are just incredibly violent and 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 damning and the 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 fishing vessel that encroaches on them is just the size of almost like a planet it's so large and um the moments where she's entertaining people it's just so much so much glee and the faces are exaggerated i mean he's he's like an italian version of um of uh, like Al Jaffe, really, in a lot oh, of ways. Nice. Yeah, so it's just it's a wonderful, wonderful book. I mean, it's two hundred forty pages, but I am telling you, you can read it in twenty minutes just reading through it, and you get and then you certainly probably should take more of your time and enjoy the art. But but it is not a hard story to get through, and it's it's very the 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 the, the undercurrent of what the story is about is very easy to jump into. But uh, but it's just it's it's just so full of life. And, um, it's romantic, so you'd probably hate it, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, 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 a, it's amazing. And it's one of those books that just, i love to come across every now and then to remind me how awesome this medium is. And, uh, you know, I don't want to turn, I'm not going to turn this into a rant about the stuff we, we more commonly read or that we talk about, but, uh, but, but things like this do, but you, can, my... you you can though,
1: you can, no, or no, no, should... no.
0: These float my boat more than anything else. Me too. Because they're I, just un, they're just unexpected, you know. I, I don't. Yep. I ordered this because of the solicit and and the fact that Lion Forge has been doing a nice job with with this import line. And to me, they're almost becoming like another humanoids, you know, in terms of bringing over this European work and packaging it really well. Um, and I just, I just. Um, it's even a surprise like when I get it in my, in my DCBS box. This was in my, my, my last shipment, and I didn't even remember ordering it. And so I'm like, oh. Because, you know, you, you see all the things you order, and you say, oh, there's that, the cool, and I've been waiting for that, or, oh, that's right, I'm going to read this. And then I saw this and thought, huh. And I sat down and read it, and I just was so happy that I ordered it and so happy that it exists. And um, it's the kind of book that you can give to anybody who's never read a comic before, and they're going to love it. They're gonna love it. They're gonna think, "Oh, this is cool." You know, if you have any interest in in that kind of thing, and and I, as you know, I love the sea, so the setting is fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's it's a huge, massive thumbs up, and Lion Forge is killing it. So uh, once again, it's called a Sea of Love, and it's uh, by Lion Forge, and uh, yeah, and it's a weighty book too. It's a big, heavy hardcover with spot varnish, glossy Ooh, spot nice. varnish on the now cover. You're talking. Yeah, man, it's it's absolutely great. So. Uh, please all of you listening this is one of those books you need to put into your list is just keep an eye out for it if you're looking for a gift from someone to give you or you look next time you want to buy some some collections this is something that uh, should factor into your uh,
1: your travails sweet well I got it tried and true I wanted to bring something to the show Mm -hmm. Um, other than uh, Youngblood, and I said, "Mm, what am I going to do here? Ah, 2000 AD. You know why? (laughs) Prague 2091. Uh, We all know that 2000 AD is an anthology full of awesome stuff, but Mm -hmm. there is a serial that is beginning Mm -hmm. in 2091. Mm -hmm. It's a Judge Dredd serial called A Better Class of Criminal, and this is the first part i'm not going to tell you the illustrator's name until i'm done okay written by rory mcconville uh color art by chris Blythe, and letters by annie parkhouse this uh, the setup is awesome and it's it's pretty straightforward there have been a rash of unstopped robberies in uh, mega city one especially in sector 11 and the uh, these criminals are making the judges look like fools the most recent, um, crime, there was a bank heist in Sector 11. Um, which Sector 11 is, is presided over by the inept Chief Hyde, Judge Chief Hyde. And, um, the judges on the scene, uh, they, they were shocked to, to witness the, the perps had enhanced strength and speed. They're throwing shit around that, that no ordinary human should be able to throw. And they're moving at speeds no ordinary human should be able to move. And it's like, uh-oh, is there a new designer drug on the on the streets? We got to deal with this. Um, so the the judges resorted to unleashing a really nasty bit of business, which is uh, an APC mounted quantum cannon. <laughs> two mm-hmm. of the, two of the perps get in a car and they're speeding away, and and the the judges unleash this quantum cannon and. Bah! bada big bada boom the their their massive explosion and they're like all right we got them uh no you didn't um the perps although their their vehicle was blown to smithereens the perps are relatively unscathed and the, the man is uh later identified through video evidence as zanzibar crass this low-level punk who was uh, running with a gang that called themselves the Azure Skeletons. So now you have super-powered perps running around, Mega City One. What's a chief judge to do? Well, she throws together a task force to uh, root out the skeletons hidey-hole and stomp them where they live. And helming that task force is good old who? Joe Dredd. Of course. Yes. And so this is but the first chapter, it is absolutely magnificently drawn um, by a man that uh, I haven't seen in a while. There's a, a page, and once again, if you want to see this page, come to 11oClockComics.com, go to this episode, 553, and you will see what I'm talking about in the gallery for this episode. There is a uh, a page where the chief judge is communicating with uh dread and dread is standing there and he's got his fists on his waist larger than life massive joe dread and there's a shadow behind him and it's just it's one of the awesomest judge dredge judge dread images that i've seen do you know who the artist is on this you're gonna tell me leonardo manco really yes Hmm. it's astonishing he draws the vehicles the 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 explosions the buildings like so well um i i don't know if he had an assist i i don't really care because it all looks very fluid very natural very amazing i, I this is going to be one of those storylines where you're like all right i'm gonna get that in hardcover because it's so well drawn and uh, the, mm-hmm. story's, the story's pretty cool like i don't know where it's going to go if you have super powered criminals one would think they're going to give the judges a run for their money, and they do. Uh, things are exploding already. Um, and Judge Dread. So, yeah, 2000 AD Prague 2091, Judge Dread, a better class of criminal, part the first.
0: You're loving the dread lately.
1: I'm, I'm loving, yeah. Well, I need something to read. The, the mainstream <laughs> stuff is not floating the boat. I don't think it's floating many people's boats these days. That's not true. Uh, you you're falling out of love with a lot of books. That is not true. It's kind of true. That is not true. Okay. That
0: is a falsehood. So
1: tell me about a book that you're in love with.
0: <laughs> well, this the the other book I have to talk about tends is actually not a a, uh, a a big two book either. It is um it is something that I have never read, although I've read lots of other versions of this that came later. I suspect you have read it, um, but this is the first time it has been collected in this form, and that is from Dark Horse, the Shaolin Cowboy, Start Trek.
1: Wow! No, I didn't, I haven't read that. Huh?
0: Yeah. It no. is the original, the OG. It is the Eisner-winning, original seven-issue series that uh, that put Mr. Darrow into the, the oh. pantheon of Eisner-winning greats. Okay. Yeah. For best, then for I best have best writer artist that year. I have that. Yeah. So. Um, but I, this I is read. a oversized hardcover uh, collection of that, and I have all the other Dark Horse Darrow Shaolin Cowboy hardcovers, um, which have been more conventionally put out right after the uh, limited series are done. So it was no brainer to get this. And um, what can what can you say about Darrow? I, I, I mean, <laughs> there is something really magical about a creator who can be minimalist and still convey um, wonderful stories. Darrow is, the, is not that guy. <laughs> Darrow is, Darrow is put, he puts so much detail on the page. You, you can't figure how it doesn't take him a month to draw like, uh, like a page. I mean, it's, it's, it's like where's Waldo, right? I mean, there's so much detail right. in every one of his pages, and there's so many sight gags, and he plays with. He, he has this this penchant for mixing and matching strange, strange. He makes strange pairings, right? He, he you know, he'll he'll have a like in this case, Sheldon Cowboy's got a, a donkey, a talking donkey as his, uh, his, his his running mate. And you know the donkey's got as a beast of burden. He's he's got all kinds of things on his on his person, but but he's got like you know random weapons and coolers and power tools and uh, you know fishing poles and, and shurikens and he's wearing a uh, one of those see through green visors that the old school poker dealers used to wear. Um, Darrow's it's just uh, you could spend an hour looking at one of his splash pages it's it's just incredible and and the dude has got the craziest mind ever i mean he he you know he like in this in this book he he's, he is the Shaolin cowboy is is going about his business and he gets ambushed by three dudes and of course he kills them very easily and he turns the corner and he's out in the like the red rocks or some some desert area and suddenly you see page after page after page of stunningly detailed Ne'er do wells who are all part of the ultimate revengers, and they're all people that have somehow been wronged by the cowboy and want their revenge. And each person is just incredibly different looking. You've got people that look like homeless people, people that look like ninjas and cyborgs and Middle Eastern people and Victorian women, and it's just you know they they've got they've got axes and cannons and missiles and. They're all tatted up and pierced. It's it's just it's incredible. It's incredible what goes on in this dude's mind. Yeah. Um and, and of course it's Cowboy, so he has no issue dealing with these people. It's it's just just fodder for him, and it's incredibly gruesome and bloody and gory fodder. Um and, and the the main antagonist of, of the first part of the series is a freaking crab. A crab, like an actual crab. And and the crab <laughs> The crab explains as all good villains should, he monologues about why he he got all these people together to take down the cowboy. And it's the ultimate revenge of King Crab. And and it's not like a mutant, giant mutant crab, it's just a crab. And the crab tells him his backstory about how he was uh he was ripped off by a real estate guy who convinced him he was buying a beautiful piece of property, and it turned out that he was just buying his way into a Aquarium, uh, an aquarium inside of a, a seafood restaurant, but but he and his wife and his family were deft, and so they always were able to dodge the uh, the pinchers. Right, they never got picked to be cooked, and they were just they were making do. Even though it was they got a sh- even though they got ripped off, they were just making do, living their life, living their best life. Until one day, Shallow Cowboy comes in, and he's hungry as fuck, and he just eats crab after crab after crab after crab. And our boy, King Crab, watches Mother Elizabeth get eaten, then Father Philip, then brothers Harry and William, <laughs> and his sisters Anne and Margaret. And, it's,
2: it's, <laughs> and Margaret. it's
0: yeah, exactly. And and at at some point, there's only one crab left, and it's King Crab, and he's watched Shallon Cowboy eat everyone he cared for, including his lovely wife. So he. Bribes a busboy to let him free. He escapes and swears vengeance. But he knows that, that, that Shaolin cowboy is one of the deadliest people on earth, so he doesn't just go at him. He finds his way to the Shaman Temple, which he means Shaolin, but he calls it the Shaman Temple. And he meets the, uh, the head rabbi, which, of course, he means priest. And he, he gets trained by the monks, and the monks teach him the ways of the Shaolin and so this crab prepares himself, and you see, you see the crab doing katas, and you see the crab breaking rocks with his claw, and you see him fighting on top of, uh, you know, uh, uh, like the wooden posts, like working on his footwork. And now he's trained, and he's ready, and he's ready to take on Shalal Cowboy. And Shalal Cowboy hears the story, and he just bows and he apologizes, and he says, "I'm so sorry that I wronged you. Please forgive me." And the crab, of course, is like, "Eat a dick up! I'm not going to forgive you. You know, my whole family." And they fight. But of course it's Shallon Cowboy. So he makes quick work of the poor crab. And it's very tragic. Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself. Fucking Jeff Darrow has got me feeling sorry for a crab. Like how's that possible? Hmm. It's crazy. And then he goes. And then Shallon goes about his business. And then it gets really crazy. It gets it gets nuts. Because he's wandering along. And, and he comes across a freaking uh, baby with bloody hands. Because he just killed a bunch of things. And then. Out of the sand come these three beasts these these demon creatures that uh, defy description and they're all part of this this cult and that worships chi and the baby is the, is chi number 8 he's the basically the chosen one and um and and they have a grudge against Shallon cowboy too and they they uh one of the the leader of the three demons basically a um he looks like a, a an emaciated near nearly like a skeleton but but not not all bone but emaciated almost to the point of being all bone and uh his head is detached from his body but he can control both and he's nearly indestructible and he and Shaolin fight for probably 40 pages they just have an epic battle and um and and the <laughs> the, the <laughs> it's just great the um the 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 demon with with the the headless demon he's got uh like a diaper on and the diaper is held together by an iguana the iguana's tail like curls around the the like the part near his uh, his ass and then he bites down on the the like a top rope that holds the belt part and uh it's like just so random like why on the, why the fuck would he have an iguana holding a diaper on his body um and you know as they're fighting and you think like okay i see where this is going freaking the ground rumbles and a gigantic planet, well, more like a city-sized dinosaur comes out of the ground. And this dinosaur is on his back, an entire city. And he swallows our, our, our hero, Shallon Cowboy. And he is now inside the belly of the beast, quite literally. And uh, there are millions of dead bodies and demons and uh, there's all kinds of machinery because it's all part of the city that's floating, that's, that's on, above, on the back of the dinosaur. And he's got to fight Sentient sharks who are patrolling the guys the the, the dinosaurs' uh, digestive system and make his way to the temple uh, to find the queen. It's just it's bananas, dude. It's yes. absolutely crazy. And this is just this is par for the course for for Darrow. But to see the original work and the inspiration behind it is it's just jaw dropping. The, the, there's a double page spread of the dinosaur, uh, who they call Little Sweetie, by the way. And uh, and the city on top of it, and it's it's there. Vince, I mean, as an artist, there, there must be there must be ten thousand lines on this on these two pages.
1: And that, that's one of the things. I mean, I love Daryl's work, and mm-hmm. and he is as big a star in Hardboiled as Frank Miller was.
0: Sure, like the,
1: you, Hardboiled is uh, Frank's dystopian story, but it would be nothing without darrow's intensive line work and just the the, oh, sure. the the voluminous amount of detail that he puts into that mm-hmm. and and i i love darrow's work like when i see a darrow image the ones we saw in new york with with mm-hmm. gamera versus godzilla or ghidra like he draws every scale he draws uh, uh, intricate amazing images but sequentially i gotta ask what's the point what is the point of of doing 40 pages of two characters fighting with, um I mean, um, among these intricately detailed backgrounds where it's not just one stone or a hundred stones. It's a thousand stones in, in like one image. You know, if he does a double page spread, he will draw a thousand pieces of stone in this image. And I'm thinking that's a bit masochistic, isn't
0: it? It is, but I love it because it, it, it's it's just the dedication to the craft is insane. But it, it doesn't add or detract, and like, no, I don't agree I, because I think that's his thing. I think that's his thing. It's it's I, it, um, the detail is is incredible. It is, but I don't think I think I'd, if these stories weren't drawn this way, they wouldn't be what they are.
1: Well, what per- No, I, I'm not. not I'm not saying. I'm not saying to uh, even if he eased up thirty percent. The 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 average reader does not appreciate a double page spread on a level well, that on a level that we do or sure. that you know that longtime readers you know the, uh, people that love art will 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 languish over a double page spread especially if it's Darrow or um, I'm going to use his name again uh, Barry Windsor Smith or Bernie Wrightson, mm-hmm. like like the Frankenstein the il- Illustrated Frankenstein mm-hmm. by Bernie you th- those those. Are probably some of the most intricately rendered oh, yeah. comic book panels ever, mm-hmm. and 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 you look at them and you're like, wow, it just takes your breath away. But 250 pages of it, like,
0: well, listen, though, here's the thing: I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something back at you. You're always saying, as an artist, it's not about trying to figure out what the audience wants; it's about you doing. Oh no, of course not. You, right? What
1: What I'm saying is, why would he invest? that much blood, sweat and energy into a double page spread when roughly 30% are masturbating to it and the rest are just like flipping to the next page where, where he could, you know what I mean? You can get more done and get more books out, get, you know, be faster by just
0: right, but mo- I guess moderating. I as as your- you're asking that question because... The answer is because that's what he wants. Because to. that's what he wants, right? Right? Yeah, but that's just,
1: all. That's what I say. It just mystifies me that sure. that he invests that much of himself into every page. When, well, I for one i am glad he does because it's crazy. Well, sure, right? But I mean, and, and it's just like Jack Katz on you know the the the, the um, oh, what the hell was his name the 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 Kingdom books. They're so intricately rendered, and it's just
2: like
1: yeah, but i i don't i don't see how that level of detail every single panel in 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 this work that it spans six volumes like you could have done this in 10 years instead of like the 30 or whatever that it took you to do it you know like it's i i don't know but but you answered the question for me that's what they wanted to do
0: yeah that's all i think that's that's what you know that's what and by the way, there are some crazy good lines in this, some that I think you would really adore. For example, the uh, the, the donkey is, is chatting him up while they're just kind of in a, a lull during their journey. And he was uh, besmirching some people, and he's like, I bet they all listen to hip-hop or rap. They all probably died trying to find another word to rhyme with pussy and with their iPods in their hands. I think the only contribution hip-hop has made to the world is finding six new words that rhyme with either pussy, bitch, motherfucker, or cock. Nice! <laughs> he ain't wrong. <laughs> Um, See. I mean he's totally wrong, but I figured and no, then later he's on wrong. the uh the headless demon is fighting uh starting you know, talking shit to Shallon Cowboy. Um uh, and he says I mean <laughs> it's it's incredible that, that this is even allowed to be published, really. Uh he's this is a headless demon hold now this is a demon holding his own head in his hands, okay? And the and the head talking shit to Shallon Cowboy he says, Now you slant eyed chink breath jap ape we're going to nip your bud and rip out your liver, eat it, then shit it out on Domino's pizza and make you eat it with chopsticks we made out of your fingers.
2: <laughs>
0: That's I, pretty good. I have
1: these. i read the first yeah. one. I have the singles. I read the first one and let the others stack up and I just never reread them. Mm-hmm. I never read them. You know, uh, I, That level of detail exhausts me. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes me forever to read Hard Boiled. That's why sure. when it when it went up on the book of the month, I'm like, damn. You know, I, I hope it wins, but I kind of hope it doesn't because mm-hmm. it just takes so long to, mm-hmm. go, to go through
0: it. How about this? Then we'll rip out your eyeballs from their slanty sockets and make Benoit balls out of them and sell them to a skanky crack whore who works your mama's side of the street so she can smell you while she gives $2 blowjobs to all your first cousins working on the railroads to pay for your sisters to come over to the promised land so they can become a horse, too.
1: <laughs> That's raw. See, people th- people think it's me bringing the, the nasty shit. You're doing it this week. I'm glad. It's Dark Horse. I know. Dark I know. Horse, bro. I
0: know. Hey, obviously. I, don't you, but here's the thing. Wait, let me ask you a question, though. Hmm. Don't I mean, you feel like if this didn't already exist in a, in an Eisler winning form, that if a white creator put this out now, they're... People would be feeling some kind of way. I don't think so. You don't think so in today's no. day and age? And how hypersensitive people are. Well, see, I'm the see. I cannot
2: put myself. Yeah, you're not the right person. To ask no, that to I can't <laughs> put myself in, in the in the place yeah. of the average viewer. I
0: think people would have. I think some portion of the world would try and take issue with it.
1: Well, some portion of the world takes issue with everything these days.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: I mean, we, we are we going to talk about the James Gunn thing? Which I think is kind of re- ridiculous. Oh, dude,
0: it's so funny. So I'm driving home tonight from work, thinking about tonight. And I, and I thought, man, there's something I wanted to talk to the guys about. And I know we talked about it online, but we didn't really get into it. And I couldn't for the life remember what it was. That's what it was. It's nuts. Now, I, I assume anyone listening to the show is aware, is aware of what we're talking about. But in case you're not... James Gunn, who is the director of Guardians of the Galaxies 1 and 2, uh, and was in the process of being the director of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, was fired by Disney for uh, comments made by him on Twitter 10 years ago. Um, It's a series of comments. Um, I I will draw the line. I'm not going to read the comments because they are, I'm sure to many, very offensive. But he was making, admittedly, horribly ill-conceived, should have known better jokes about child molestation and pedophilia. And he did them on Twitter. He deleted them some time ago. And, you know, by, by all accounts, or at least by many accounts has, has, you know, matured or what have you. But, but, um, a conservative muckraker who is, uh, you know, it's the world we live in now. The conservatives try and, attack people that are anti-conservative and, and liberals trying to attack people that are anti-liberal and, and, use whatever they can to, to bring them down. And a conservative media guy got, got a wind or hold of the tweets and he brought them back up. And Disney in some people's minds quite overreactively fired gun. And it's been a fascinating thing because I do think it is not a black and white situation um, my stance, uh, and I said as much on Facebook was that to think that Disney did the reasonable thing in their position and to think James Gunn shouldn't be vilified for something that he did 10 years ago, uh, are not mutually exclusive. I think you can have, you can hold both opinions because I, I, I do hold both opinions. I don't blame Disney. I totally understand why they did what they did. Um, but, but were I in their position, I would not have done it i think it's ridiculous
1: i I, I understand
0: that viewpoint but do you understand why they did it
1: yes but it's ridiculous you hired this guy to direct guardians of the galaxy one the man that wrote tromeo and juliet right
0: yeah
1: why is this surprising you you're surprised by offensive tweets from a guy who who came up through trauma did you not do the
0: research when you hired him Well, here's my thing on this. This is where I think, while it's interesting to see people's perspective, ultimately, I think all of this debate is somewhat pointless because I don't care where you fall and whether they should or shouldn't have done it. And let's be clear, our, our audience and our EOC community is heavily divided on that. And I respect everyone's viewpoint because it ties into where your personal line can be drawn from a moral perspective, your view as to whether pedophilia jokes or something that can even be remotely tolerated. And that's all fine. I don't even want to get into that. That's personal preference. Mm-hmm. But where I think it all is moot is that this was not a decision because of moral turpitude. This was a decision because in the moment, right or wrong, Disney felt that this was going to cost them money.
2: Mm.
0: And, and that's that, that, it, so I agree with what you're saying that they knew who he was and if these tweets never got re- unearthed and made a big deal about, he'd be directing number three. They didn't fire him because they were suddenly made aware that he was not the moral person they thought he was. They fired him because they thought, especially in the face of firing Roseanne, same company, obviously ABC part of Disney, for stuff she said on Twitter, that they would have a PR nightmare with their non-insignificant user base who happens to be conservative for viewing being viewed as a quote-unquote – biased liberal media company. And we'll never know if that would have affected their bottom line, but clearly they thought it would. And that's why they did what they did. And it's why they fired Roseanne. And it's why they don't fire lots of other people like Johnny Depp, because Johnny Depp is accepted by the populace still. And there's no indication that the stuff he's been accused of is hurting his ability to bring in money to the box office. And so like, to me, this isn't a moral thing it's a hundred percent a dollars thing. And that's what all of these companies are about. And you can have, you can be, you know, you could take the stance of, well, would it really have hurt their business? And I don't know that it would have, but I can also tell you with 100% certainty, they thought in that moment that it would. And so they reacted and, uh, I can't feel bad though. Like, I can't like, like, sure. It stinks for, for him because he made, he made two very successful movies and, it sounds like the people that uh, acted in the films very much like him and, and we're looking forward to continuing to work with him. But I also have to say, I mean, dude is not gonna be hurting. He, he's no, not no, no, no. he's not ostracized, his career his career is not over. More people than not have taken the position of he's not the same guy. Um you know, his brother is an actor who actually he's actually was he's in the Guardians uh films yeah. as one of the um as one of the uh you know the The Reavers. The Reavers. And he wrote a very eloquent piece about it, saying that his brother was a a nudnik when he was younger. He was a provocative, a provocateur. His whole life was essentially all about shocking people. That was his, his, his quest in life was to upset people. And, and this was in his, in his brother's opinion, a, a, an example of that, that was really poorly, poorly thought out and ill-conceived. And that his brother um, has matured and learned from that and learned that he's he's worth a lot to this world as a creative person without having to provoke at every turn um, and Gunn to his credit took responsibility for it and said uh, what he, you know he basically said as much he said i I, I regret saying it. I, I know it was stupid to say and it was insensitive at the time. when I said it I didn't care about any of that I was trying to provoke I was trying to get under people's skin. Um, you know i don't do that anymore because I'm a different person I'm, you know, I'm ten years older. Um, so I think at the end of the day, he's going to go on to make other movies and be quite successful. And certainly Disney is going to go on and do its thing. So it's really probably much to do about nothing. But I do find it fascinating when something like this arises. It is a reminder that we all don't think alike. Because we I really did see a gamut of people. I saw lots of people that thought it was bullshit. I saw a lot of people that thought it was totally justified. And I saw a lot of people in between where, where – like, they really were offended by the comments. Like, legit offended by them. Mm. And, they're just, they're yeah, well, right. I, I know you're – yes, to you. But this is what I'm trying to say. What I think is valuable about things like this is it reminds you that your worldview or my worldview is not the right worldview. It's just our worldview. Right. Like, we have friends, close friends, and friends that have been on our show that were legit think that his comments were horrible and, 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 and completely – inappropriate and i i even if i don't see them that way i i, I can't say they're wrong for how they feel just sure. like i'm not so that's that's the part that really fascinated about this is seeing this that you know not everything is uh is black and white you know we kind of get caught up in the in the you're an idiot or you're smart kind of worldviews right. now right, right? And, and 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 i'm very guilty of that i Certainly, make no bones about that. So it's 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 nice every now and then to be reminded that there is a a a um, spectrum of perspectives on stuff like this.
1: It just, and I'm I'm not saying you know I'm not doing a Deniseman thing and patting myself on the back for being right all these many years ago, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of doing that where I, when I said that the, this Twitter and this 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 MySpace and Facebook bullshit, mm-hmm. there is very very little worth. Revealing yourself and archiving yourself for. Like this man made comments 10 years ago that were archived and they later came out to bite him on the ass. Those are yeah. very, very expensive tweets. And, and these guys do it all the time. We, we see it where they, like Roseanne, she tweeted, she's gone. Very expensive tweets. Yeah. She was, she, you know, she was finally making, you know, a good amount of money again. um musicians do it actors do it rappers they 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 say things online they get smacked down they lose money what the hell was the worst of of going on there and and saying all this stuff who gives a damn what anybody in the world thinks or 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 says like are my opinions that valuable that i'm going to go on there and potentially lose millions and millions of dollars Just keep it in your pants, nobody cares it 's become a a, a a sideshow circus a circus sideshow where you have all these freaks and geeks on Twitter and Facebook and they're, some of them say things that oh, they incite others, and what 's it really worth you mm-hmm. you 've just disrupted the status quo for maybe fifteen minutes. Andy was right and 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 tomorrow it 's going to be somebody else. Shut up! It, it, there's nothing worth saying online that could cost you millions and millions and millions of dollars, uh, you know. Like unless the war is bad, when it gets to that stage, we're saying war is bad, peace is good becomes a crime, then we're all in trouble, right? But mm-hmm. it, it, if you're gonna if you're gonna be racist online just for the sake of being racist or stirring up trouble, it's gonna cost you, and it's really not worth anybody's time. Just stay away.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah. I, I um I, I think any kind of major societal change brings with it lots of good and lots of bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that um I I'm not I'm not I certainly can't say that I'm of the opinion that like social media is bad for the sake of it. I mean we use it, it a lot and Yeah, we, we use it a lot, but But I but I but I no, but I but I also don't disagree with I think there are we're starting to see some, some, some pretty grave societal consequences to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um.
1: Do you know why all the classic, um, musicians and actors and writers and, and, and creative people were never ostracized for their, um, extreme viewpoints? we didn't well, know about them. because we didn't know about them they said right, them in sure. in behind closed doors or or yeah. to people of like minds now everything's written down everything is archived shut your mouths don't type don't type that sentence well, to, i mean
0: to your point so so at lunch today at work um one of the guys at our office is uh he was a, you know he's born in russia he's an american citizen now but uh but he's by russian descent and uh he came to the country 12 years ago and he we were talking about some of this, uh, not not the media stuff, but more like the political stuff. But same kind of line of thinking. And he he posited something to the to the effect of, "Well, why do you think it is that politicians now in the U.S. are so morally corrupt?" And all of us that are American by you know, by birth and have been here for a long time were, were immediately like, "My dude." It is not that they're more corrupt than they've ever been. It's it's that, to your point, Vince, is that we just – we're we're now acutely aware of what we all – we're all aware of everyone's business. Yep. You know, I mean, JFK was a, as notable a philanderer as you ever – I mean, like, we know through – like, we just know because of history of his, of his escapades with women. Imagine what it would be like to be JFK in today's day and age.
2: Mm,
1: still, you sleep with Marilyn – Come on! No, but I'm saying. But I mean,
0: yeah, I know what you about, mean. Think about like what Bill Clinton went through, right? Like, I'm, sure, I mean, you know what I mean? Uh, or, or, or even, you know, just I'm just saying, like, it, it would be so difficult when, when the light is shined upon you, and there's permanence in everything you say or do. That's where I think that's the part that scares me, is that the the because now words have been weaponized. Mm-hmm. You, you, where you really lose in in the world of social media is context. You know, is is that is that and, and Twitter's the worst of this because Twitter now it's now it's uh, what two hundred and some odd characters, but it used to be one hundred forty characters. So by design, you had to get your thought out very quickly and succinctly, oh. and that usually meant removing all subtext and context from your thought. So it became a world where you were trying to provoke. You're trying to make a short, powerful statement that got people intrigued enough to want to continue to watch you tweet, right? That was by design. I mean, it had 140 characters. So, I mean, I can speak personally. You could take a lot of things I've said on this show and cut them up and play them standalone, and it probably would make me look like a horrible person. Me too, yeah. You too, and that too. Oh, and sure. Any, yeah. you know, anyone, anyone that's done this, and 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 same thing. I'm sure there are tweets or Facebook posts that... If you pulled something I said and took it completely out of context or inserted it into a different context, it would, it would not only look bad, but maybe yeah. totally misrepresent my actual views. You, so a lot of times I'll read
1: your tweets and, and Facebook posts and think, why are you posting this? <laughs> what, do you, what are you gaining from this? Sure. But Dapp's the most. Like he goes out there with his heart right on his sleeve. And mm-hmm. and he he is Dap Dap is the the fighter for, for justice and and and, and truth and, and all that stuff and I gotta wonder like what are you getting out of this? Does it make you feel better to post this? I um, think so. I think that the, there's a catharsis. But you're your every tweet and, and, and Facebook post that you make is, is taking one little piece of your armor away. To those yeah, who, I do think there what, is something to be said for that. And what I, we're I, doing right now is it, this is akin to the comics um, code of authority. Mm-hmm. The social media media now is going through a comics code era where mm-hmm. we're we're self policing ourselves. And, and there, right. there are, there are things now that you cannot say. The, what, what it was in the fifties was, you know, no more werewolves and vampires and zombies and beheadings. And right. now what we're doing on social media is there's no more racial epithets and, and, and justly so, right? I mean, but that's, uh-huh, sure. okay. So what happened in the fallout from the comics code? The creativity kind of stagnated. It, the comics became this homogenized, crappy. Yeah, yeah. That's what's going to happen with our social media now. It's going to be all boring bullshit, just uh, you know, PSA or or promos on here. Check out my book. The thing I, I'm I'm leading because to,
0: people are going to be afraid to to right, themselves. Right, funny, right, right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But but where I'm going with this is, can you imagine if we had social media in the days of the beat poets? Those guys <laughs> never would have had anything published. Uh, especially, no, bur- especially Burroughs. Like, can you see if Naked Lunch was published today, he yeah. would he would be burned at the stake. Sure. And, and that's the thing that that scares me. Where you have some like on the road and the Dharma Bombs and the uh, the Atrocity Expedition and and Naked Lunch and C- Cities of the Red. All of these amazing works of 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 literature that would never have been what are we losing now what 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 how are we compromising our creativity just because we don't want to say something that's going to offend somebody like Mm -hmm. i i don't tweet anything other than hey check out this awesome piece of music or this great movie or this great comic book i won't come out and say i think trump is a horrendous evil asshole i won't do that because i may need a job someday and yes, I know it's, it's, it's hypocritical to feel one thing, but mm-hmm. I may want to be employed somewhere where they're mm-hmm. going to go through my social media history and see. Well, I mean, I'm kind of screwed already because I, I'm sure I tweeted something about 2000 maniacs. But anyway, <laughs> what okay. I'm, what I'm saying is I don't say anything risky because I don't want to undercut my future endeavors. And it's just common sense. Don't do it. We all know these people are horrible. Do do it do it in a realm where you're not going to be. Yeah,
0: I, I think you're you're spot on with a lot of it. And again, I do think it does cut both ways, right? Like I, I do think because without without social media, you, you wouldn't have the Me Too movement. Uh, you know, you, you wouldn't have what was literally centuries of, of of aberrant and accepted behavior by men in power. White men um, wouldn't have that crumbling down. So I'm saying that there are definitely great things about it too. Like like, the, but 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 yes it's currently being weaponized and there will have to be an adjustment i think you're right i think one of the things that will that will lead to is is at least for a while like the dark ages people will retrench they won't they won't share a lot of things yeah. um and uh you know some might be listening to this arguing like that it's worth that because of the good it's doing and and i it's again that's personal opinion i i um i i am active on social media i don't see myself not being active um I don't disagree with you that sometimes I ask myself in retrospect, why am I bothering to say the things I'm saying? Because I'm basically either speaking into an echo chamber of people that are, that share my views and getting high fives from people that happen to agree with me or, or I'm getting completely ignored and probably muted by the people that think I'm nuts. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it goes both ways, man. I, I I don't, I'm going to sound like an old man now. I I, I genuinely don't worry about us so much, because cause we can kind of see it for what it is and course correct. But I don't know what our kids. Are, I don't know what it's going to be like when our kids are adults and that's and they they grew up in a world like this. Yep. Because my kids have no compunction about sharing anything, and everything, about their lives online. And uh, I know. You know, and 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 I can tell you, one of my uh, coworkers, his wife is a recruiter for a very big company. I'm not going to say the company because I don't know that she'd be cool with that, but, but um, it is a standard part of their recruiting process to scour social media for the people they're hiring. Yep. And I'm talking about Instagram and Snap and
1: well, sure, you, uh, you do it for romantic potential romantic partners. Why wouldn't you do it for potential- yeah? But I mean, they
0: use services, right? Like they use they have they have they have expensive enterprise software tools to to basically you know crawl for your name in reference to anything you've done.
1: Wow, you know, even your searches? And and,
0: and and to your point, even even like that's the other thing it's not i mean the James gun stuff he deleted those tweets years ago, yeah, like it's not even like it was just out there right, and the guy looked for it and found it, I mean, the guy had to dig it up, he had to find it from some archive somewhere so it it was a hit piece is what it was they they wanted him oh, to... for sure, yeah. oh absolutely it's a it's Chernak, right, Chernovich? Ch yeah yep. you know and 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 it's it's a direct result of of gun being. Uh, anti-Trump and everything and 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 i I don't want to make this a a evil conservative thing because the the liberal liberals are horrible at it too there have been just as many liberals take down pieces of conservatives that is the, the the people are using the media and social media they're weaponizing it now and it's a bummer it really is a bummer yeah well, look, uh, look, like you said, I mean, we have 550 episodes of us saying stupid shit, so don't. if someone really wants to listen to all our episodes and uh, take me to task for something, there will be stuff that you could take me to task sure. for. Sure.
1: If you, if you want to bring somebody down, you can. But, um, I mean, the, the, the baseline is if, if you don't have any room in your heart for art or, or you know, this planet, then, then you're, you're not a good person. Right, and and that's what I'm seeing from from a lot of these these people on social media is that they, they they they're just soulless, um, economically driven vampires. And it,
0: it yeah, I also see though that um, I, I do get swallowed up by the hypocrisy of it all, though, though, because I I do see. I mean, it's no secret where we lean politically, right? I, mean, I know we don't talk about a ton on the show, but it's not a secret. We're not. I don't hide it. Uh, and all three of us share that view, as do many of our friends. Uh, but, but I am very careful to not let this turn into a, you know, a, a, oh, the conservatives are, are, like, that's not what's going on. Like, like it's it's just as much we meaning like people that lean liberal are doing it to to conservatives. I see it especially in the comics community. I see a lot. Like, I don't. You never hear me bigging up this diversity in comics bullshit meaning like supporting the other side much because while I think this Meyer dude and his crew are a bunch of cronies and a lot of the people that he associates with have heart hate in their heart I see some pretty disgusting behavior on the other side sure too yeah and I see a lot of intolerance and a lot of anger and a lot of hate and a lot of threatening violence and a lot of horrible commentary back and what really, really frustrates me is the duplicity of it. I see a lot of horrendous statements and actions made against all of those people, and they're laughed at and high-fived and retweeted and rah-rah because, why? Because the people that you're doing that to are people you don't agree with? Like, like I don't, like to me, that's where I can't get with it. Like, like if, if a person's a bad person, like I'm not gonna side with them, but it doesn't give me the right to be a horrible person back to them. Like sure. I don't think that's like that's not I don't think I don't want my kids to think that way. Like so I think you got to be the per- like I, if you're going to take issue with the way people act, you can't act in kind.
1: Right. And now, I um,
0: with this comics and diversity stuff, I see an unbelievable amount of our friends and people online acting in kind like it's okay because somehow if you're angry or threaten violence or insult a bigot's family, somehow it's okay because they're a bigot. Like, nah, it's it's just as much driven by hate and negativity. It's not good.
1: Yeah. So, do you want comics and diversity in the show notes or no?
0: Oh no, no, just not not because I care about what they think, but because I don't want to give them any run.
1: Right. Okay.
0: You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I, I like that's what I was saying on 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 our group this week with the with the um that that comedian James Jeffries, right? That's his name, Jim Jeffries. Um, the guy on Comedy Central. Yeah, he did a piece at San Diego Comic Con about the diversity in comics crew,
2: mm-hmm. and it went
0: all around, all around to this week. Um, and I was like, Nah, man. You know what? Like when you retweet it and you retweet the the video and you and you make fun of it all day long, you're just empowering the dude,
1: right? Right. Like the, the way I, I, was, I wish someone re- would retweet uh, something we said, uh, even yeah, if it's bad. Just, exactly.
0: It's yeah. like don't. Don't don't just if you, the pro, like you you spend all day talking about what an what an idiot he is the the joke's on you because you're you're you are empowering him you're making him a thing this dude has raised over a million dollars for his Fakakta comic that's he's not raising the million dollars because the comic's badass and people want to buy it he's raised the million dollars because we have enabled. Him to have so much power that a insanely large group of comic readers feel like he is their voice and mm-hmm. they are supporting him in his cause and now he is let me tell you something you know a, a million dollars in the comics world is a fucking lot of influence hell yeah like that's a lot of influence and that and by talking about this guy incessantly and how much you hate him and how dumb he is and how this video bothers you or what he said in this video is bullshit. All you're doing is making him more powerful.
1: Yeah, let him go. You
0: away. are not. You gotta ignore him. Don't say his name. Don't, igno- don't as far as as far as the world knows, he does not have a website. He does not make YouTube videos. He doesn't exist. That's how you declaw him. Yep. Then he's just an angry dude making videos that no one looks at. Right. You know? I got it. It just drives me nuts, man. It drives me nuts. I get all fired up about that. You're a part that fires me nuts. I, I'm passionate about the bullshit of the duplicity. Like I can't stand – like, and I'm not going to go on the political side of this rant, but it's a microcosm. What's going on with that douchebag is a microcosm of our political landscape mm-hmm. because we all spend all day long making funny memes and laughing at blow-up balloons and fucking joking at the funny cartoon we read not about what a buffoon this dude is. And meanwhile, the dude is the president of the United States – the dude and all his people are in power doing whatever the fuck they want. Like, like, like we need to take real action and all day long, we all tell ourselves that like making fun of him or giving props to a video from Trevor Noah that scathes him is doing something and that's not doing a fucking thing. Like you're not actually getting him out of office by doing that. Like you, maybe it makes you feel good and that's fine. But like so many people I know think that that's them being active. That is not being active. Being active is going and finding candidates locally that you think actually are going to do a good job and support them either with money or your time. Being active is calling your existing senators and congressmen and mayor and telling them that shit that's going down is bullshit and that you don't want them to vote for it. Like like being active is going to rallies and going and volunteering at organizations that actually are changing the world the way you want them to change it. Like that's being active. Like laughing at other people making fun of what adults you think these people are is nothing more than a waste of time. And it just drives me insane because that is what I see every one of my friends do all day long. And then they sit back and and think they're, they're part of the power of change. You're not changing a fucking thing laughing at a Trevor Noah video. Not a thing. Not a single thing. You're not. Like it's not doing anything to change the fact that these dudes are doing what they're doing. So enough of a political rant, but you know, I just get fired up about it, man. Because it's like
1: we we need the quantum cannon. That's what we need. Yeah, man, we <laughs> do. damn
0: do. All right, we hey Goddamn everybody. Do. We uh, can't end on that note, dude.
1: No, we got we still got in your travels. Um, this episode of Eleven O'clock Comics, as off usual, has been brought to you by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com. dot com. Get your Bully Wars number one, Conley oh, yeah. Conley and Young uh, dollar ninety nine. Coda Trade Paperback Volume 1 Discover Now Edition uh, four ninety nine, and the mm-hmm. Death bled from Vertigo, $8.49. In Your Travels, okay, it spins out of an event, which is, in my mind, a mm, 50-50 proposition. It could be mm-hmm. good. It could be th- the suck. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what I wanted it to be. Because it doesn't walk like an event-driven comic. It doesn't talk or, or act like one either. It is written by James Tinian IV.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Pencils by Elvaro Martinez Bueno. If there was ever truth in a name, this is it. Mm-hmm. Bueno. Mm-hmm. Uh, inks by Raul Fernandez. Color right by Brad Anderson. It is Justice League Dark number one.
0: Did you read this, Jason? It is the next thing in my stack. Wow. Okay. So, No, I please, though. I don't worry about it. I don't ever get it's.
1: It's, like, all, when, set, it's when, all set. It's all set. The
0: rare times when DAP isn't here, we can spoil. I, we don't. It, you and I don't get Ben it, Sheen. It, like it's that. just all
1: set up. Um, from what happened in um, No Justice, the there is a tree of wonder now in Salem, Massachusetts, and magic is dying. It's on the wane. Uh, Zatanna's tricks. Are going horribly and dangerously awry, um, she's in this crowded theater and she's doing tricks and when she pulls the rabbit out of the hat, the rabbit's bleeding and dead um, there There's this uh, apparition that starts attacking her her patrons and and Wonder Woman comes and and helps save the day and and there are some things that Wonder Woman can handle, and magic can't and uh, long story short. Uh, Wonder Woman is is trying to assemble a Justice League splinter group to investigate and combat this this problem with with magic. And she can't she can't seem to to raise anybody to join her. I mean, yes, she she's at the Oblivion bar and she gets Bobo, you know, the detective chimp. What else does he have to do Um, to help (laughs) her out? Um, Tracy 13 is the bartender in the Oblivion bar. Uh, John Constantine makes the obligatory appearance, and since this is the post-New 52, they're running with the uh, Constantine and Zatanna had a romantic past, and uh, Zatara was uh, immolated, died in, in John Constantine's uh, presence. Um, some would say because of of john constantine 's presence but so there 's a grudge between Constantine and Z- Zatanna, even though they had uh, relations um Kurt Langstrom the man bat now has multiple formulas he can dial down the formula to just make his his, his head um, a bat and the rest of his body, like an anthropomorphic bat, or he can go full on scream man bat with another injection. Um, he is the scientific advisor to Wonder Woman's new, uh, splinter group. Um, Zatanna gets a vision that, uh, the, uh, her daddy talks to her and he, he says you know what the magic is is not new it didn't come from you guys it came from these guys the original owners of magic the other kind um are coming back and the upside down man is leading them and they're going to come back and burn everything living um and and take back the magic and and one of us will be the conduit through which all bad things will come uh, i thought this was wonderful it's it's very dialogue heavy which is exactly what i think it needed it's it's not a uh a summer blockbuster masquerading as a a horror um comic it's it's a straight up supernatural um justice league you know and, and mm-hmm. th- there there's there's big uh parts of the the book like Wonder Woman has a bunch of dead bodies, and she she wants them um, investigated. So Langstrom's looking at them. He's like, you know what? There's an extra-dimensional decay thing going on here. And he's talking while he's examining the bodies, The, uh, and they're, they're straight out of John Comperter's The Thing. Mm -hmm. these bodies, they they come to life and they animate and they attack and Wonder Woman, she's fighting these things and she's like, I will not go down without a fight and and Swamp Thing and Zatanna arrive to help like Swamp Thing, he's got dreadlocks, like long hair and and he's like a hippie Swamp Thing It's this book tickled all of the good, fun dark spots for me um, it felt like um, the helmet of fate and Dr. Fate's supposed to come up in the next issue. It, it felt like that crossover mixed with um, the the best of the previous Justice League Dark series um, with Swamp Thing. You know, I, I, I really like this. And I think this this Alvaro Martinez Bueno was a, a smart choice because dude draws like a monster. Nice. Yeah, it was great. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in for the run. Respect.
0: Yep. Um. All right. Well, before we do in your travel, I uh, do in my travels. We're going to do another question or two. Cool. Mike Delvecchio asks a bunch of questions. So um, he says he heard on another podcast, shame on him for listening to other podcasts, uh, that the age of physical pencils and ink works will fall by the wayside. Do you guys think that in our lifetimes we'll see this come to fruition or will there always be a mix of both physical and digital art?
1: I don't think physical's going away, not when people can make money from them. These, the, uh, these guys are supplementing their income with the sales of their original art. Uh, in many cases, they're They're matching what they're getting paid to produce this stuff. Why would they want that to fall by the wayside? Who's going to buy prints? The uneducated are going to buy prints. You want those original pages. I don't think they're going away.
0: I 100% agree. Yeah, ever. I don't think they're going away. And I think the money is a huge part of it, no doubt. I also think that uh, artists uh, like to work in physical mediums. It's for many of the tactile experience of doing so.
1: Gabe Hardman wow. cannot get the marks he makes digitally. It's just not yeah. going not going to happen. Yeah. the The most advanced um, illustration software is not going to make mm-hmm. the 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 quali- same quality marks that Gabe could get by flicking a brush, in, yeah. in a second over a page.
0: No, are you asking? I mean, if he's asking, do I think it's going to continue to grow in popularity? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think I think a good chunk of 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 work is digital now, and and it probably is going to continue to increase as a percentage, but. But I don't, I would say this is a subset of the broader question do we ever think comics are going to not exist? I, I don't know that I can say 100 years from now Marvel and DC superhero comics will exist. They probably will, but I can't say. But comics is a meat, art form is never going to not exist. No.
1: You know what? I'd even go as far to say as should comics go 100% digital, I still believe that there would be a large, large component of the creative teams that would do it physically. Just to make mm-hmm. just to make the money. You know?
2: Yeah.
0: And here's a, it's another one from Mike. He asked a bunch, but this is a really great one. Pro this would be a nice end cap for it, um, for, for the questions. Um, do you think classic stories that are regarded as masterpieces would be just as good if some element were done differently? Examples if Dark Knight Returns was still written by Frank Miller but drawn by another artist, or Watchmen drawn by Gibbons but written by another writer. <laughs> or even if those specific works came out today, do you think that they'd still be regarded as masterpieces, or is the time frame in which a story comes out just as important as the creative team? That's an excellent question
1: I don't know about that. I don't think that's such a great question i'm I'm not shitting on Mike, but to say that would Watchmen be different
0: if Alan Moore didn't write it? He didn't say it would be different he said would it would it still be regarded as a masterpiece but the, how could you even say that? Like, so, so well, he just wants your opinion.
1: No, I know, and I and I love the question, but it's it's what if Frank Miller wrote Watchmen and Alan Moore
0: wrote Dark Knight? Like, they yes, they'd be different. But he's not asking if they'd be different. He's asking if you changed one aspect of these classics, do you think they'd still be classics? Like, is Alan Moore's writing, you know. Absent, like, is it is it the, is it is what makes the masterpieces the collaboration between all the parties that were involved, or could you take one of the elements and swap it out? And I think that's a fair question. Like, like for example, I, I think I don't think Dark Knight Returns. His, I mean, his first example. I think the answer is no. I don't think Dark Returns is anything of what it actually is. If Miller isn't isn't drawing it. I don't think. I mean, I think his drawing is a huge part of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. But right? but these things are what they are.
0: To say would no, they have I, been I know, right? Well, but dude, to say he's asking you to be creative. Like I, 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 think his other question. I think Watchmen, Watchmen, written by someone on like the Moore. No, it doesn't. It's we're no. seeing what that's like right now. I
1: also feel the same way about the uh, the illustration side. I don't think I don't think anybody else could have illustrated Watchmen, and it would. And, and still have it be regarded as a yeah, masterpiece. What, now, that it is. now, we'll
0: respectfully disagree there. I love Dave Gibbons, and I think he's a master in Watchmen, but I don't think his style is particularly distinct enough that I don't think someone else couldn't have done it too.
1: Mm, I disagree. Yeah, I well, again, I'm not yeah, I, don't, I don't think I'm, there's uh, anybody. There was anybody else with the discipline. To bring that nine panel grid as exquisitely composed as each mm-hmm. panel is. There, there, there's a, a layer of composition going on in Watchmen that works on the panel level. And there's sure. a layer of composition that works on the page level. And then there's a layer of composition that works on the issue level. There's very few guys that could do that. I, I don't, I, I hesitate to think of anybody else who could do mm-hmm. that. But, yeah, okay, so, yeah, maybe it's a better question than I, than I initially gave it credit for, only because this is three-quarters of the bottle of wine, so I shouldn't have said that's not a good question. It's a good question, but I just struggle with the, the thought of thinking about these landmark works in the hands of other people. Sure. It, it's a it's a what-if, and that's always
0: fun. Well, I guess, what, I mean, to me, I take this question to be... Can something be a masterpiece without every part of what made it a masterpiece existing? Yeah, but you'd never you know, Like know. He throws time into it, too. And I think right. the time is an excellent point because we have spent a lot of time over the last 10 years revisiting things that we have read before or have adored or stood the test of time. And I think it's run the gamut for me as to whether it holds up or not. I think my nostalgia for a lot of things makes me happy that it exists. Right. But objectively speaking, whenever you read it, I don't think it's as high quality. You know what I mean? Like I can look like when we read it, I'm like, oh that's pretty it's kinda of rough, you know? Um it doesn't hold up. Like it like it like whereas if, if you put that same exact comic out today, it would it would not be well received.
1: But the the comic you read at 12 years old that ignited your world for that entire summer. You read that now and you're not the same person.
0: That's so, another great point. He doesn't bring that up. but I think that's the other point. It's not just about when something is released. It's where you are right. when you're experiencing it. Right. So, so it, it may have right.
1: turned your entire mm-hmm. world upside down at 12 at 30. <laughs>
0: what was I thinking? When I read, this. yeah, like perfect example, right? Um, for a lot of people our age, the the, the Byrne, Claremont X Men is the is the seminal X Men that that everyone's been chasing to recapture since. But for people five ten years younger than us, most of them their gateway into X Men was the goddamn cartoon, mm-hmm. and I think the cartoon's a hundred percent hot trash. It is like I love cartoons, and I think that is a legit bad cartoon. I think it's terrible animation, like terrible low budget animation. Um, but that's blasphemy for people in their thirties that love the X Men. I mean, those for those people, that cartoon was their gateway into into uh, comics. So yeah, I mean, they're not wrong for loving it just because it's what they experienced as a, you know, as a kid. Like the probably the most startling example for me is um, your kids are a little older, so it's probably not the case for them. But um, my kids have nothing bad to say about the prequels. That was the first experience with Star Wars, you know? Like, to them, Anakin Skywalker is who that character is. Like, at the very end of his life, he got turned into Darth Vader and then redeemed himself as he should at the end by being the person he always actually was. You know what I mean? Like, and of course, you and I hear that and we're like, get the fuck out of here with that noise. Like, that's ridiculous. But... For kids their age, that's what they grew up watching—the Clone Wars. And what I mean, they watched hundreds of episodes of cartoons where Anakin was a hero. You know, that's so it's crazy. crazy. Yeah, but but I'm saying that's my point. It seems absolutely blasphemous yeah. for people that grew up and with the original Star Wars movies. But but that that's it's just about your perspective. So I like the question. I, I think the answer is, is no. I think it, you need. What makes something a masterpiece is 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 the the confluence of all these things, coming together and 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 hitting the zeitgeist, right?
1: Yeah, I think the question's good. Um, I just it, I get a little weak in the knees whenever. What if this thing that we all love so well was different? Mm-hmm. It, it, there's really no way to tell. There's there's it's an impossible. There's an impossibility. Well, that's true yeah to, to, to the question that yeah we can uh have fun with it and and, and try and pretend what would have happened but we'll never right. really know because right.
0: you know yeah i'm being
1: a jerk <laughs> yeah.
0: um all right so in your travels um a couple folks on the on the boards put me onto this book i was not going to read this book i did not pre-order it um but uh it got so much positive feedback on our on our group this past week that i decided to um then I decided to uh, give it a try, and that is um, The Life of Captain Marvel, number one. Uh, one of five. It is a five-issue limited series with uh, art by Carlos Pacheco with inks by Raphael fontariz and then art uh, done in flashbacks by Marguerite Savage uh, written by Margaret Stoll. It is a look at uh, Carol Danvers' origin story but um, and it was very good. It really was. I I, I was a, a a regular, vehement reader of Captain of Miss Marvel for years. I own every I, I own a complete run of of her first ever her original series. Um, always been a big fan of the character. Haven't been a fan of the character in in recent years. I think it's that's not a fan of the. Uh, and no disrespect to those that like it, but but uh, Kelly Sue kind of. She, I kind of lost my way with her, and then just never really got back. But um, but I, I really dug this first issue. It's it's uh, it's good, Pacheco. Vince, it's it's Pacheco who cares, which is nice to see because Pacheco can definitely when he's not into a book, you can tell.
1: Really? But see,
0: I I always think Pacheco's good. I mean, uh, I think I think there's I think a lot of times too. It's his, I'm not familiar with this inker, but I think this inker really does work well with him. He punches up his stuff. Okay. But uh, this is a, yeah, I look at, at Carol's childhood and her family life, and it was a troubled childhood. Um, but, uh, yeah, I liked how it was done. I liked the setup. I thought the art looked great. And uh, I got a little bit of them feels. So props to uh, Caleb and a few other folks online who told me to give it a whirl, and uh, they were right. So
1: Nice. See, I, th- I think you may be equating uh, Pacheco with Laroca.
0: Dude, I'm not com- no what
1: I don't know because you say this is good Pacheco. To my eyes, all Pacheco is good. Pacheco. Oh no, I don't agree. I don't
0: agree. I right. don't think that there's ever. Like, I don't think Pacheco is like ever where I'm upset that he's drawing a book. But I do. I do think his his uh, his issue. I think the quality of his issues does vary.
2: Mm.
1: What do you think of his Ultimate Fantastic Four run?
0: god i i mean i read it when it was coming out i can't tell you i remember i don't remember it much now okay i love it I, I is that it. the one where where they lost all their money or was that four no the the um that was uh, four right by Aguirre, Aguirre Sacasa. yeah yeah yeah
1: the, the ultimate fantastic four run is where it's very kirby-esque it's very new gods-ish when these these characters come to earth and they challenge um
0: I'll, I'll show you the issues it's
1: he also did the silver surfer run
0: yeah okay mm-hmm. great stuff great yeah stuff. yeah i like pacheco i'm not you know
1: but it's it's vendors
0: forever dude yeah that's prime pacheco Resolicited this month
1: really how many editions of that do we need
0: well it's a, tr- it's a trade paperback
1: ah okay
0: all right everybody. Cheap asses.
1: yes all right everybody Hey, if anybody at Image is listening, let's get an extreme omnibus. Too sweet. Um, We can't even do it. In the meantime, say goodnight, David, because he's not here.
0: It's true. Well, goodnight Um, to David. I hope he has safe travels tomorrow.
1: Yes. Goodnight, David. Um, In your travels, come to our Facebook page and uh, join in on the fun. (laughs) Join in on the social media. (laughs) Yeah, but do it. Um, We're on the Twitters. and the patreon uh forward slash uh, what is it um patreon.com forward slash one one o c o m i c s 11 o'clock comics. no pass um in the meantime say good night david good night david and uh we'll be back next time maybe sooner than you think
2: mm. look at that
1: mm. <laughs> We love you. Hope you enjoyed this. This is different, but good. Yeah, man.
0: Going on, on on,
1: going on a tear.
0: Yeah. Getting yeah. it done, son. That's right.
1: We always do. Say
0: bye. Bye.